The first cell phone was demonstrated in 1973 by Martin Cooper. You know what wasn't demonstrated? Shared plans. Over 50 years later, you can save on one line thanks to Visible. When you switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible, you can get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just 25 bucks a month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees. No, really. You can look around for them. They're not there. Switch now at Visible.com. Save on wireless without the hassle. Switch to Visible today and save at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms. Visit Visible.com. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Beyond! 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 What's up, everybody? Welcome to Podcast Beyond, episode 356. I am one of your hosts, Greg Miller, all alongside. He only does everything, Colin Moriarty. Hello! Hello, how are you? Ah, uh, good. Ah, you, you haven't shaved yet. No. We're letting don't, it grow in a little touch, bit, eh? Don't touch. I didn't. I got don't, close oh. to it. I got, I'm really... It's a game. How close can we get without doing it? Oh, yeah. This is why you watch the video version of... In the ever-rotating third chair, back from the dead, the one and only Dark Knight of News, Andrew Goldfarb. Hey. Hey, you didn't shave either. I didn't. You didn't touch mine. I don't want to touch yours. I don't want to touch anybody. My game's very different. It's please touch my face. <laughs> Anyone touch my face. Goldfarb. Hey, it's been a long time since you were on the show. Yeah, I know. I can't swear now. It's gonna be really hard. Yeah, it's, I'm, I'm gonna be the cursor. one who messes this I'll, up like I'll ten times. I'll start the curse list in the back. Oh, do you Just keep? Oh, you keep a timestamp. Well, yeah. Okay. Then I gotta go edit it out. Yeah, it's. You know, I'm gonna make your life real hard. Okay. Please, do no, then the show just won't careful, go up. It's a busy day. Um, <laughs> when was the last show? You're on E3 when we. Interviewed I was Shu? on for the yeah Shuhei one. My voice is all terrible and messed up, and you're going through puberty. Yeah, I was. It's a very exciting time in my life actually. Hair where there was no hair before. Actually, this beard just grew in that day. Um, what else has been going on? Still uh, Gearbox? Yeah, still at Gearbox. Uh, traveling a bunch. Uh, I'm, I'm here all week visiting the lovely San Francisco. It's like 55 degrees cooler than it was in Texas when I left. Um, and yeah, just doing Gearboxy stuff. I finally, Battleborn's announced, so I can finally put up blog posts and all the stuff I've been working on, which is kind of exciting. Now that's the one that's the sequel to the Dark Souls. Yes, exactly. This is the one that uh, oh, From Software Bloodborne. is Sorry. doing. Yeah, Sorry, Bloodborne. And then uh, this is also the the one that Bethesda is doing. No, give them a rundown. <laughs> tell, us about, tell us about your game. Uh, Battleborn is a uh, uh, five-player campaign, kind of almost Borderlands-style thing, but then there's also multiplayer modes. One of them is called Incursion, which is basically like a MOBA, and then okay. there's um, kind of more traditional multiplayer modes, too. There's a bunch coming in September, so pr- pretty much right after PAX, we'll have a bunch of actual like, gameplay. Because like, the weird thing is, like, poor Lindy keeps doing all these interviews about how like funny the game is and stuff, but like there hasn't actually been gameplay footage out there. So. Let me set up yeah. the scene for you, and <laughs> I'll tell you how funny this is. Yeah, yeah it's coming, I promise. But yeah, that, and then uh, pre-sequel, I just got back in Gamescom doing pre-sequel stuff. Finally revealed Claptrap. Oh! Yeah, oh, yeah. How do you go over? I think, well, I think people are like, really? Because it's so weird. But yeah, uh, yeah we, we have fun with it. It's That game's just goofy and fun. And it's Borderlands. Goofy and fun. Yeah. Like that, Podcast that, Beyond. Like Podcast Beyond. That was the inspiration for the goofy and fun parts. They were like... We have to make it like as much like podcast beyond. <laughs> Randy's like tearing up design docs. He's like, let me like beyond. Pictures of Hire Gold Farm. That's what we need. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, podcast beyond is the internet's number one PlayStation podcast. It pokes every week 
on IGN.com as an MP3 on Tuesdays every week on IGN.com, YouTube.com slash IGN, and the IGN PlayStation 4 app as a video on Wednesdays. We Is it actually going company. up consistently now? Yes. Wow. We got it down to a science. Wow. Where I basically tell everyone to off. Nailed uh, it. Yeah, you like that? <laughs> uh, and then actually edit the video and get it up in a process. Yeah, Greg does it, it himself. It only fails <laughs> nine out of Making more work for times. You know, somebody's got to do it. My favorite part is that you just write the, the curse word. word. Yeah, so and then, just ends up well, being then a list of looking, curse words. Then I know yeah. what I'm looking for. Sure, it sure. helps me out. In the end, when I'm in there with my earbuds jamming out. Because you wouldn't notice it otherwise. Speaking of which, we're supposed to shoot. We were. I know there was an, a threat about this. Are we not shooting that video today? I guess not, no. Okay. I okay. haven't heard back from it. So what, about cursing? No. Yep. <laughs> What's up, everyone? Our top conversation. ten curse words. <laughs> Number four. Mittens. Mm. Let's begin the show with what is and forever will be the Roper Report. <laughs> Time for some news. There are seven items on the list. A baker's dozen. Yep. And uh, <laughs> it's a slow week uh, because uh, we're in kind of post-Gamescom now. Yeah, slow burn. Pre TGS, I was gonna say Lucky Number Eleven, which would have been a really weird reference that, to make to that, that Josh yeah. Hartnett movie. I remember that man. Not I a talked to him at Comic Con. Not, not a pro. Did you? Yeah, he was on the really? show. That title bothers me. Secret it interview. always did. Yeah, well, his, I think his name was Slevin. Yeah, but it's just... secret interview. <laughs> no, I <laughs> did. I say. I said how what was you I? Say? Don't remember. It was only five really seconds. Good. He was really interesting. I'm very tired. I got back from Germany. Here come the excuses. A little while ago. Did you have? Did you have some beer? I had a lot of beer. Um, Colch. I had some Did sausages pretzel? with breakfast. So I ordered oh, yeah. the the bread selection of bread in my hotel from room service. And it would just come with a bunch of sausage. That's oh, awesome. man. Yeah. What a world of love. They eat in Germany. The hotel we were in like last year, that Marriott, has the best breakfast I've ever had. Um, yeah, it's, it's easy. Oh, you there. stayed at that place again? No, I stayed at the Reds and Blue. Oh, that's where Sony yeah. usually is. Where yeah, they were there this year. Yeah. I saw, like, it was actually really funny. I saw Shuhei and Adam Boys and now John Drake and all these people, like, walking in, like, a perfect triangle in, like, their matching suits. With, so like, very slow motion and songs Yeah, playing. just, like, cool music playing. Oh, they stay there, too. Because I, I was yeah. thinking, they usually just have their, uh, I was referring more to, like, they just rent the out all of the floor yeah. and then they, they just show off their games. There. Yeah, that was That's where... why Gamescom's not stressful for me because I cover PlayStation yep. and I just go to that hotel for three days and everyone else has to go to the show floor. Yeah, like a bunch of chill on earth. Well, this year I was in the business center the whole time for, for Borderlands, which is really nice. It's a nice shirt. That's what I was thinking. Thanks. It is a nice it's, shirt. It's, it, br- it's, it brings out the colors in your it's face. It's got like, a, is it new or is it old? Because it's got a texture. It's got a little bit of both going on. It's got on, a texture it? of it's like, it's like you know, something yeah, that's worn. been worn yeah, in. Yeah, no, no. It's, it's, you should roll up the sleeves, though. I, 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 I will, but I'm I'm, I'm comfortable right now with the temperature, so I didn't want to. I like the fact that we hang out enough that I know when you get new shirts. I know. It's a little. Because they're all just a little bit different. They're all in the same vein, collared shirt or something offensive to another country. Are you doing collared shirts? every day now no i mean i have i so i went through my closet uh this is a, an aside welcome to podcast beyond we just uh, <laughs> we, i was gonna say we almost made it to number one on the road before we went on about talking about pretzels it's all john Hart's fault man like this, yeah. this weekend i finally went through my closet and like threw out a bunch of clothes yeah and mm-hmm. so i've whittled you it down out why you? well you donate yeah okay uh and i so i whittled it down to like 15 button downs like eight polo shirts six or seven pairs of jeans a couple suits wow Wow, uh, you know, etc. and so on. And, so and then of I got, and I, I have literally <laughs> over a hundred, like over hundred and fifty t-shirts, probably. Yeah. In my yeah. And I got rid of like four or five of them. I wore one for you, one that I used to wear in college. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have like this old Astros shirt from the seventies with like the old, you know, the orange with the old logo that they used to wear in Houston, and and uh, I, it was like super tight on me even in college. And I put it on, and it's like just he almost could get away with it. It's ridiculous, but it's one of those things where like. The shirt's so tight on his belly button that you see, like, the gap spread <laughs> like, there. Like, you see the index. Yeah, exactly, oh, exactly. Great. You see what he ate for lunch. <laughs> uh, number one. 
For the seventh month in a row, as of July, PlayStation 4 was the best-selling console in the United States. This news comes on the back of word from Gamescom that PS4 has surpassed over 10 million PS4s sold to consumers, which makes it the fastest-selling console of all time to date. Indeed, if you combine PS3's first nine months on the market with Xbox 360s, PS4 and Xbox One are outselling their predecessors by a combined 80%. The, huh? Which is huge. That's the Last so of Us, crazy. The Last of Us was the best-selling game in the U.S. in July. Other PlayStation saw, and it's 2014, everyone. Uh, so that's pretty interesting. Other PlayStation software also charted in the top ten, including Minecraft on PS3 at number two, FIFA 14 for PS4 and PS3, and Vita at number three, Watch Dogs for PS4 and PS3 at four, Call of Duty Ghosts for PS4 and PS3 at six, Grand Theft Auto 5 for PS3 at seven, Sniper Elite three for PS4 and PS3 at eight, NBA 2K14 for PS3 and PS4 uh, at nine, and Lego Marvel Superheroes for PS3, PS4, and Vita. Ooh. At number 10. PS4 that Vita version is the one that's really selling. Yeah. Definitely. PS4 software sales accounted for more than half of next-gen game sales for the month, and PS3 and PS4 hardware sales outstripped combined Xbox One and Xbox 360 hardware sales. God, that's so crazy. 10 million like, is so high. I know. Seems like, you know, Borderlands the pre-sequel should probably come to that platform, right? Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to put the install base is so big. <laughs> no, I don't want to turn it back on and plug it back in. The, uh, just some interesting notes. So 10 million plus PS4s puts it ahead of Vita. Uh, it also puts it in the realm of uh, Dreamcast. Uh, we're just and Saturn, so we're just uh, we're wow. like that, I think those are the names Saturn. you want associated with I, well, I think, I think PlayStation Four, the new Dreamcast, <laughs> and or Saturn. I think it passed Saturn and is on its way to getting to Dreamcast numbers, which is and it did that in nine months. In yeah, I was gonna say less than a year. That's so crazy. I mean, I don't think we expected half of that by now. I think uh, not that I ever bought into the console gaming is sure. dead thing or whatever, but man, like that number, people should really understand how high that number is. Keeping in mind that like. For the lifetime, for the whatever, seven years, eight years that the other ones were on the market, it was about 70, 80 million, I mm-hmm. think, respectively. So, like, 10 million is a huge, I mean, obviously the momentum slows down eventually, but that is a huge start. That is uh, gigantic for the first year. What's interesting is that it hasn't slowed, it's slowed down, but it hasn't slowed down a lot yet. And it's been doing this with people complaining with PS4 that it has no game. So, imagine when, um, which is something I disagree with, but imagine when Uncharted comes out or, yeah. uh, you know, Bloodborne or, or you know, God of War eventually. Or right, exactly. Yeah. Like, I, you know, when Gran people, Turismo, like, whatever it is. Is like those things exactly. that actually move units, yeah. Exactly, I think it bodes well for the future of PlayStation. And it's only had one Christmas. Yeah, I mean, and it was right. And at it launch. was, and it was, and it was supply constrained. Yeah. So yeah, it's everything's everything's looking good, Greg. Yeah, it's yeah. exciting right now to finally be using my PlayStation Four. I feel on a daily basis. You know what I mean? I think Rogue Legacy was the first one where I was like, all right, now I'm playing this in this game. I'm hooked on. I want to not. I can't stop. Dude, playing the crossplay right. is so easy in it. Right. It's exactly. like the most convenient. That's the, that's uh, why doesn't every game do it that way? And I think now, a lot of them are now doing it that way. And now Diablo, uh, well, and then Minecraft. So, so the answer is they are. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Minecraft will be big. I can finally start pushing the PS3 away. Yeah. Don't do it um, yet. Persona, I know. Persona. I know. I Persona 5, Borderlands pre-sequel, I'm Assassin's Creed Rogue. Throw, I'm not don't putting throw, it in the shredder, everybody. <laughs> don't throw your PS3 out, Greg. Did you I've seen that throw video. Assassin's Creed in there? Assassin's Creed Rogue. I'm not going back for Assassin's Creed Rogue. Uh-huh. Sorry. It's kind of a brilliant move, though, isn't it? Because people that are really into Assassin's Creed lore... That have both consoles will play both games exactly. So it is kind of it is kind of Dude, brilliant Rogue, that it's not just a, a downrezzed uh, version of. Some people yep. have written in about this, but I have yet to meet a person in the flesh who cares about the Assassin's Creed lore. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, I, people at this point it's just me like, all the time. At about this that. point, it's just like whatever. Can I just go do stuff and unlock Rich George. stuff? Right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Stone Gin. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say Stone is the next one. Um, right? no, I think 
you know, look, like, I don't know exactly what Black Flag did, but it did quite well. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, there, no, no, there the are enough people. are great. I love playing the game, don't a, get me wrong. I mean, the, the overall lore about, like, the planets exploding, all the crazy shit, maybe not. Yeah. But as far as, like, the story of the Kenways and stuff like that, like, the basic level, like, the, the shallowest level of the lore, I think there are people who care. Especially because they said this, like, concludes the Kenway saga. Yeah, they, keep, and... they keep shoving that down our throats. <laughs> but seriously, spoilers for Assassin's Creed, whatever. Like, when I was as Ezio and I get in there and it's like, oh, yeah, the... the these people are space <laughs> gods that came, and I you, I watched the videos yeah. of Adam and Eve running, and they have the piece of Eden, and it's like, what? And then looks at it, and he goes, Desmond? And he, who's Desmond? What does that happen? Blah, blah, blah. I was like, that's cool. And then I played all the rest after that and never beat them, never, never bothered to get to the end and be, feel like, what happened? Assassin's Creed 3 is when my brain just broke. The ending of that game, I was like, I... Don't, I am too stupid to understand what <laughs> is happening in this game. I couldn't even get to the end of that game. I just started screaming at my TV and then never played it again. You make it out of the theater when you're crawling up oh, like, That was the worst, wasn't it? No yeah. one sees this man climbing <laughs> on their heads. It's like yeah. ridiculous. But since we're on the topic of Assassin's Creed, I want to bring up something real quick. Assassin's Creed was one of those series that for a long time I said I didn't I didn't like and I don't like those games, right? But you kept getting Platinums in anyway. Well, so this was the point, actually. <laughs> so I played, uh, I think back in the day, like a little bit of AC I didn't like. And then AC2 I played. Played, um, and I was like, I don't like this game at all, right? Um, and people gave me, you know, a lot of crap for that because they, you know, were like, you didn't see enough of it, you didn't play enough. And I'm going somewhere with this. Very, it's very essential. Oh, I'm very, very I know exactly where. I bet I can predict where you're going. Can uh, I write it in a sealed envelope? And so. <laughs> What I ended up doing with Assassin's Creed 2 before 3 came out was I actually went and played it again, and I still hated it. Uh, but I platinumed it just to prove that I there's no way I could have possibly seen or done more in this game. I don't like it, but here's my platinum trophy, mm-hmm. so you can't ever say that I didn't play it enough. Give it a shot. And as a side note, that's a testament to how much you love American history because you were so excited for AC3 just based on its setting and yep. like the dumb videos we were doing that like you were like, okay, now I'm going to go back to AC2, which I yeah. absolutely hated, and you complained about it the whole time. Yeah, I hated the whole. I hated every minute of it. Uh, and I played like Prototype 2 right after it, so it was just a really bad time in my life. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Dark point. But uh, so I, I, Greg and I went to Sony last week and we played Bloodborne. Oh. And uh, I really like Bloodborne. And I think it, it, it's got like that kind of little little tinge of speed that I've wanted in Dark Souls and Demon Souls. It's got a little bit of arcadiness to it. It's not Ninja Gaiden by, or God of War, but it's just a step in that direction. It's still very much Dark Souls or Demon Souls. It's also Souls. set in a village. It's, it's exactly. It's set in a village. It's a setting the I, 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 care, I, I care more about. Right. I'm already more excited about <laughs> right. it than I was the Souls. Because you thought it was the M.I. Chama. So... No, no, god damn it. So I did, you know, so when I when I saw Bloodborne at E3 with Miyazaki, I wrote about how like a, I'm a Dark Souls kind of naysayer and this game is kind of making me a believer. And then when I went hands-on with it, I'm like, I actually really like this game. I can understand it. I feel I'm bad at it. They were, you know, everyone at Sony was laughing at me when I was playing it. Yeah. And uh, so what I've decided to do, I'm off tomorrow and I'm off next Wednesday because I have some Uh-oh. comp time. Uh, I'm going to play Dark Souls. And I wanted mm. everyone to, I played Dark Souls for a few hours when it came out and I didn't like it. There was not this Demon one, Souls, Dark Souls. Not Demon Souls, Dark okay. Souls, right. Uh, I'll play Demon Souls maybe, but everyone, a lot of people suggest I go to Dark Souls. So I'm going to... Dark just, Souls 1. Right, Dark Souls 1. Okay. Not and, Dark Souls 2. Not Demon Dark Souls, Souls again, no. Okay. And not the Dark Souls 2 DLC. Okay. And not Soul Sacrifice. Dark Soul, not Soul Sacrifice. <laughs> okay. okay. No, but Dark... And not Soul Sacrifice Delta. Okay. I'm, uh, I think I'm clear. But, Are we talking about Dark Sector? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I just want to let everyone out there know that I'm going to do, you know, keep an open mind about Dark Souls and go back to it because... What a lot of people are telling me, and have been telling me for a long time, whether it's Casey Lynch, whether it's some other of our friends, readers, etc., and so on, people at Sony, people from Newstown, Jim Riley, New, Jim Riley, is that this Brian game Albert. is right up my alley, and and a lot of people are actually frustrated that I don't like it, like it actually bothers <laughs> them, and that maybe I just didn't give it enough time. So uh, I'm gonna sit on the couch tomorrow and, and play through, you know, as much dark, you know, not very much of it, but 
you know, for a few hours of Dark Souls tomorrow and then the following Wednesday and kind of get more into it, you know, more into it. And I'll, I'll report back, uh, you know, keep an open mind about it. But the last time this happened when I did it with Assassin's Creed 2, it didn't turn out very well. But I hope it turns out better this time. You want to be proven wrong. I, I do want to yeah. be proven wrong because this is actually a game. It's like an albatross for me. Mm. Like, it's just like a, a noose around my neck all the mm. time. Mm. I'm going to say if you like Rogue Legacy and if you end up liking Dark Souls, there's a, there's a nice happy medium called Spelunky that you might also mm. enjoy. You got mm. that loop. Yeah, we, he already said loop Spelunky death. sucks. We all agree Spelunky sucks. Mm. Rogue mm. Legacy came out and showed you how when to it comes be a to PS4, Spelunky. A better Spelunky. Rogue Legacy is incredible. Colin. Yes. You bring up the fact that this angered a lot of people. Mm. You anger a lot of people on this show. Frustrate a lot of people on this show because they love you so much. Oh, well. People like Matt. <laughs> Matt from Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Matt writes in and says, Hello, Greg, Colin, in the ever-rotating third chair. Beyond? Beyond. It seems every week. You, got, you don't say Beyond anymore? Oh, I'll say Beyond. Well, it wasn't how, Is that how we raised beyond. you? Is that beyond. how we raised you? You <laughs> <laughs> You're no son of mine. I'm just going to yell pre-order Borderlands the pre-sequel every time. <laughs> it seems every week we hear about just how much Colin hates playing games with other people. I'm sure it's been discussed, but I guess I've just missed the explanation of why. With Destiny looming, my co-op fire is burning bright. Even the thought of cranking up the last-gen console for Borderlands pre-sequel has me excited because I love co-op <laughs> gaming so much. <laughs> it's a tugboat. <laughs> playing games by myself has its perks, but playing games alongside my friends is just the best. I completely understand that everyone is entitled to prefer his or her gaming styles, but I just wanted to know if there was more to it. Did Colin have a bad online experience? I know that I've had plenty of <laughs> online multiplayer sessions that ended abruptly because of horrible connect comments being made in the lobby before the game even started. I get it. For that reason alone, I usually classify co-op play entirely different beast than multiplayer. Why don't you like playing with your friends? He understands... Something happened. <laughs> <laughs> I would love if this is like a really dark story. Yeah, it's no, single nothing, tier. Nothing happened at all. It, it, it goes back to when I was you know, a kid even. What you play Contra or something like that, right? With other people, or you'd even do like the you hand the controller back and forth, like you would have to do in, sure. in, or like take turns, like in Mario or whatever. I just never enjoyed that. I don't play games to like bond with other people. I I don't want to play games with other people. I don't want to go at their pace. I want to go at my pace. Sometimes that's quicker. Sometimes that's slower. I've had good experiences online. I think The Last of Us is a great example of a you know uh, you know a game where I had a lot of great experiences. Uh, the the pe things people say bother me no because they just mute everyone when I go into online games. I don't talk to anyone. Like I mute. That's the first thing I do when I like go into games. I just mute everyone. Like the, it, the everyone's thing, muted. It's done. So that that's never that's never like a thing. So it's just not what gets me excited about playing games. That's kind of where I stand on that. I understand that some people are different. Destiny doesn't speak to me at all. I have no interest in Destiny whatsoever, uh, and I won't be playing it. I'm sure, but. That's why I was so eager for uh, that Ubisoft game, The Division, to have single player because right. I think that game looks awesome. I think Destiny looks fine, but I don't think Destiny looks like a game changing kind of thing. Uh, I think, you know, The Division looks friggin' rad, you know, and sounds rad. And so I was desperate to be able to play it by myself, and I think you can. So that's just me. It's the same thing with Borderlands. When I played Borderlands and Borderlands 2, I played it by myself. When I play Soul Sacrifice, I play it by myself. When I play these games that might be designed for other people, I play for, by myself. That's just the way it is. I think it's also important to understand that it's not like just games. Like you just like being alone in general. Yes, I do. Like I mean, this also applies to drinking and everything else. Like I think you yeah, I like to drink alone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not that you're an alcoholic, but no, I, I think in general, it's like you you know you you have friends and you see them when you want to. But there's certain things you like to do alone. Sure. The thing about co-op gaming for me is I like it when it's 
easy and it's fun and you're all doing on the same page. But when you get off page, like I'm playing Diablo with Christine, right? And we're having a great time and it's I don't mind it when like you know like for when you're playing local couch co-op Diablo, you hit in, go into your inventory, everything stops for both players. Obviously, whereas online you could keep playing. But like the, I was like the other day, I'm like, are you into the story? Can we listen to a podcast? It's <laughs> like no, I'm enjoying the story. I'm like, oh okay, well, you know, what I mean, like there's that just difference. Like when you're by yourself, the story you can, of Diablo. Yeah, when you're well, there's that story there. <laughs> when, when you're when you're go, well, you know, it's because it's all the same thing. Usually it turns me off. This fantasy of these the hell and the angels and the demons have come to Earth in this, of course, old school land where nobody's got a cell phone. Stupid I, I love the fantasy. idea of Simer like in tears, being so moved by this story. And, and I was like, what? And you try to listen to this American life. Yeah, yeah exactly. In one ear. But that's the thing, right? Like, Last of Us is a great example like of a game that I don't think would work co-op because I want to go explore the environments and go yep. to every nook and cranny and not feel God, like I hope I'm Fallout somebody back. never has co-op because that's yeah. the kind of game I'm oh, so God. slow. I'm so scared of it. That's what yeah. I'm scared of. See, I don't want people to get the impression that this needs to be in every game. But the, it, I think you're going to see fewer... My guess would be you'll see fewer single-player games because it's going to be that kind of the division and Titanfall and all these things where it's like connected and like even Watch Dogs, which is a single-player game, like you're always connected to other players and they can invade your game and all that stuff. Like I, I think because more and more people have online and because the online capabilities and sharing and all that stuff are growing, I would imagine you'll see fewer like core single player Fallout 3 style experiences. Yeah, and that's a, and that's a shame. You know, and I want to say real quick, I think you're right that it's just who I am. You know, my my dad visited a few weeks ago we were talking about it. My dad really I I'm very much my father's son and he likes to be alone too. Like, like I know when he visits, like it, it, it's funny because he's the same way I am when I visit people. Where he like doesn't, he'll stay at a hotel and he'll hang out with you during days, not in any rush to like get in touch with you. And when he gets up in the morning, he like we have lunch, dinner, hang out. And he's like, all right, I'm going. You know, like he needs like to be he, he, like you know he wants to go read or he hang out by time. himself. Yeah, exactly. And I like that too. So like gaming is my me time. If I can synthesize the me time with the gaming, that's great. Mm-hmm. The last thing I want to do when I play a video game is play it with another person. And it's not to say that there's like games that I haven't enjoyed with other people. We played All Stars a lot when it came out back. In the day I used to love GoldenEye and Smash and Street Fighter and stuff like that but those days are kind of behind me like I don't want to play games with other people so you know more power to you if you do number two <laughs> was there more of that question or was that no that was it you nailed it this is how the show works right. sorry you're too busy I'm sorry I'm new here to remember anymore <laughs> In a conversation with Eurogamer Sony Shuhei Yoshida, friend of Podcast Beyond, remarked that he wasn't aware of the exclusivity deal Microsoft had signed with Square Enix and Crystal Dynamics to secure Rise of the Tomb Raider for Xbox One and Xbox 360. While word has since leaked that Rise of the Tomb Raider is likely a timed exclusive for Xbox consoles and will come to other platforms later, I think. We don't really know that yet. Yoshida admitted that he, quote, hopes the game will come eventually to PS4, end quote, but no said it's not up to him and that he has no further information. Uh, so I thought um, it was interesting that they didn't really even know. He said maybe his third-party team knew, but they never told him. So the quote I really liked in there was he was like, if you look at how many PS4s are out there and you think about it, like, the amount of sales they're losing by not being in PS4 surely must have been made up for by something else, which obviously is the case. Like, you would imagine money. that if it's really never going to come to PlayStation platforms, if this is going to be, like, console exclusive and it'll come to PC and Xbox or whatever, like... That is, the amount Microsoft would have to make up in potential lost sales for Square is huge. So I, I can't imagine never, I think you'll see like whatever the definitive edition. Game of the year, definitive yeah, edition. I, I would imagine that'll be on PlayStation, if not earlier. I can even see it being as early as Q1 2016 and Microsoft just gets that holiday window. Because Christmas is huge. And, and like as of right now, like I think Microsoft is very carefully setting it up, itself up for this holiday season where they have a FIFA bundle in Europe, a Madden bundle in the US, they have a Sunset Overdrive bundle, like 
all of that stuff is time for fall. They want this fall to be like the fall where, you know, they kind of catch up on install-based stuff. While Sony has put a lot of stuff into Q1, you know, the order isn't coming this fall. It, they're still drive club, but like a lot of stuff will be early next year for them. Yeah. Um, so I think like it, it's smart for Microsoft to position itself for, hey, let's have a big holiday. And maybe they're, they're beginning to set the same thing for next year. So I can even see it being a three-month window just to get that Christmas shot. But. Sure. There's a few interesting notes that I didn't think about. Some people have been talking about this. It, it, it's interesting. Number one, this deal if Tomb Raider comes out fall of 2015 benefits Microsoft and Square in this in the way that it would go up against Uncharted on PS4 and get slaughtered so like if you like they would come out the same month probably and no one's gonna buy Tomb Raider like on PS4 at that point so it actually makes more sense maybe for Sony too to say like okay bring it out next year Uncharted will have already sold millions of copies at that point and people will have will want their fill of action adventure again, and so they'll go buy Tomb Raider a year later on PS3 or PS4. Mm-hmm. So that kind of makes sense. Like that, in a backwards way, ironically benefits Sony, I think, because it gets Tomb Raider out of the way of Uncharted. And Microsoft has admitted in interviews that you know they don't have an Uncharted and they want an Uncharted, and Tomb Raider is their best bet for that right now, I guess. And that they, you know, there's a uh, some interesting interviews with uh, uh, Phil Spencer about. Uh, you know how they've tried, and you know they want Uncharted. They admit like Uncharted is a game we don't have. We don't have a game of that caliber. You know, I and, love and how candid he is. Yeah, by the way. It, like it, his interviews are awesome. It is. It's it, it is refreshing. He's a great yeah. lead for Xbox, and I think it's going to bring Xbox back. Um, not that they've been very down, uh, yeah. but the one thing I wanted to bring up, and I don't know how you guys feel about this, is you know, and I know our friend Jim Sterling has talked about this a little bit, and some other people. It's just the word exclusive and what that means, and I kind of feel like, you know. I feel like Microsoft has really bastardized that word um, with the, with with Tomb Raider. I don't really feel like Sony and Nintendo do that. Uh, they, if we want, we don't want to get frustrated about exclusive DLC and the exclusive day one content or extra whatever. That's totally fine. But I do think that those two companies speak plainly about what is exclusive and what isn't. And I think you can go back and watch Gamescom then the press conference when Sony when Jim Ryan was on on stage and he was like, "These eight games are coming first to PlayStation." Like it was very clear. Like they're not exclusive to PlayStation for six months. Blah blah blah. Like they don't use that kind of terminology because it confuses gamers. Um, and that kind of stuff frustrates me because when that when they were like Tomb Raider exclusively on Xbox in 2015, it's like, come on, guys. You know, the like, wording was it, so, it, like, yeah. like, no, it's not. You know, it's ex- it's it's exclusive on your consoles for that holiday season. So maybe literally what you're saying is true, but you know, people aren't going to interpret like that. And why do you put yourself in that kind of position? I think Nintendo they, wouldn't say like, you know, we know when Nintendo has an exclusive, it's an exclusive, <laughs> and Sony Studios make exclusives. You know, so we don't have to worry about that kind of terminology. I think there are. Op- obfuscating it on purpose like i think they want people to associate that brand with xbox for better or worse and i think um i mean you see it now with destiny right like most people are talking about destiny as a ps4 game even though it's going to be on not only xbox one but also xbox 360 like and i think um they want that they want it to be like oh and i think call of duty i think xbox because the dlc has been exclusive for a thousand years um i'm sure they're setting up tomb raider in that same way um but yeah i i completely agree with you i think at this point like it's one thing to say console exclusive or whatever or yeah to say first and like to make it very clear what you're talking about um i think it is unfortunately misleading but also don't forget that like these events these press releases or press conferences or whatever aren't really just for the gamers they're also for investors and stuff and Mm -hmm. i think um they want to feel comfortable that like this thing is coming to our platform you know or at least giving the impression of coming to our platform first and it'll do really well and it's a known brand and blah 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 so, I don't know, I, I can see the reasoning behind it, and I'm sure, like, Microsoft especially, like, they haven't announced a figure, Sony just announced 10 million sold through, the last we got from Microsoft was 5 million sold in, like, I mean, that's, you know, 
that makes it look like it's two to one, even if that gap has closed a little bit. But um, man, they need to make it sound like they have stuff coming. Make yeah, waves. Sure. Yeah, I understand why they do it, but that's exactly what it is. They do it so. Like, they want, like, everyone's like, oh, man, I wonder if they regret doing this. And they don't regret it at all because, like, it got everybody talking about Tomb Raider. Sure. It got everyone talking about Tomb Raider with a big Xbox logo in their blogger image or whatever. Like, I, I think they've done exactly what they wanted to do. And, yes, they maybe had to backtrack a little and explain afterwards. But, like, truthfully, I think they are probably pretty happy with how this was received. And, and, and no matter how much people complain, like, millions of people are going to buy this in Xbox One in holiday 2015 before it's on anything else. So For sure. And a lot of people have been tweeting at us and asking us even in comments and stuff, like, well, this game won't be an exclusive, or you know, this PlayStation game won't be an exclusive, or this Xbox game won't be an exclusive. There's always a way to figure this out, right? Like, if here's a rule of thumb for Sony for PlayStation, we know this because we've covered PlayStation for a long time. If one of Sony's first party studios developed it, it's never going anywhere else. And if a second or third party studio developed it, and when you see it, a trailer for it, it says published by Sony Computer Entertainment, it's never going anywhere else. Yep. If you don't see anything else like that in a trailer, then it's likely a timed exclusive or not exclusive at all. So yep. when people are curious about the Tomorrow Children, whatever that game is called, like that's an exclusive. Q Games is not owned by Sony, but Sony's publishing that game. Uh, the same thing with Bloodborne. Bloodborne is not coming to any other console. Sony is publishing and paying for that game, even though they're not making it. You know, so you can hold that hope for PC yeah. one day and like Pixel Junk. Right, those it, games all start yeah. limping. Right, out. exactly. Like that, that's about <laughs> as much as that's later. about as much as we've seen, and that must come with the blessing from Sony. Sure. I mean, PC is kind of Switzerland. I, I feel like most people are comfortable. They're like, okay, we'll put this on PC. Like that doesn't hurt us because it's not like a. They don't see it as a direct competitor. I think, and also for the devs, it's probably not as bad to port it to a PC when we you're figure. Not yeah, you're talking about PC. You're already talking about the fact that Steam integrates with PSN now. Yep. BattleNet integrates with PSN. Yeah. I mean, I think the weird for people who don't. I remember when Mass Effect Trilogy was announced, people didn't understand why it was such a big deal. And I think it's such a big deal because Mass Effect 1 was technically published, I believe, by Microsoft Game Studios. Yeah, and the deal lapsed. For that one, like, that's one of the few examples I can think of where, you know, it was an exception to that rule. But, yeah, like, for anyone who's ever thought, like, oh, man, like... Like I, I remember Neil Druckmann put up some joking image uh, NeoGaf has made had made as his like Twitter yeah, banner, background. and it had like someone holding a co- I think it had Bruce holding a copy of The Last of Us and Xbox One, and he got a bunch of tweets that were like, "Oh man, The Last of Us and Xbox One, that's dumb," and it's like, dude. <laughs> Naughty Dog is owned by Sony. Like, yeah, yeah. guarantee that will never, ever, ever happen. No, never. I, I understand that mo- a lot of people don't want to get that deep into understanding how the studio system works and stuff, but it is good to educate yourself on that if you are interested in, in having this discussion about exclusives because, obviously, that's a pretty good rule of thumb. Yeah, and it's it's just about IP ownership, basically. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, one of the interesting things Sony does now is with PubFund, and they've been doing this for a while, is they'll actually – Sony's actually loosened up so much that – They'll pay for your game and you with pub fund. So like they did this with Drinkbox with Guacamelee. Yep. They actually like paid for that game. And once the money's made back and they're paid back and like there are some rules they probably make a little bit on the side or whatever, that game can go anywhere. So like Sony actually paid for a game that was then ported to Xbox One. Um, and we you and, and the same thing's happening with Axiom Verge, which is a, a game we're really excited about, uh, which is coming to PS4 and Vita first, PC later, and then could conceivably come anywhere else. I think the pub fund thing is basically a way for them to, to f- facilitate smaller games without owning IP, because you hear stories all the time, nightmare, more nightmarish uh, stories earlier in PS3's life cycle about them trying to control IP from smaller developers. And that's why they didn't get games like Limbo early, because of their arcane rules. Um, so... Yeah, there's all these rules. Just pay attention. I mean, so, yeah, Uncharted never coming to Xbox. Uh, but will Tomb Raider come to PlayStation? You know, probably. I don't know. I really think it will. I mean, I was wrong about Titanfall, though obviously I guess sequel will. But I, I, I really did expect Titanfall to eventually get announced for PS4 later. Um, I guess it probably won't at this point. But um, I don't know. I, I think Tomb Raider, maybe I'll be wrong again. But I, I would be very surprised if we don't see it a year later or something. Yeah. Now, the question is, like, a year later, 
has Microsoft won anyway? Like at that point, is it even relevant enough that it would make a difference if it suddenly came sure. to PS4? Um, I guess it depends. It's on how an optics it is, issue. Yeah. I think that's exactly right. I think they, they want that. They just want it to be, you know, whether it's true or not, to be associated with their platform. So This is a good jumping off point for a question from Lars. He wrote into Beyond at IGN.com. It Lars said Beyond. 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 No. Okay. Lars Ulrich. He's like, is someone using my brand? Yes. <laughs> Remember when they, they went after that antique store that named a couch Metallica and they, like, sued them? They're the worst. What are you doing? Hey, Greg, Colin, and the ever-rotating third chair. I was wondering why we need video game publishers. Half the time, they seem to get in the way of creativity in games and seem to only care about money. And with the rise of indie developers and small studios, one of the major grievances I've often seen listed is the ownership of IP and the right to self-publish. So why do we need publishers? Money. Right. Money. I mean, yeah, like, so for people who don't understand, like, so we own, Gearbox owns Borderlands. Like, we own our IPs. We own all of our IPs. But, um... 2K publishes that game, and what that means is not necessarily just that they, you know, have spend marketing money on it or whatever. It's it's also that there is an investment into the product itself right. early on. So I mean, they're they're technically allowing you to complete the game, and then in return for that investment, it's you know they put it forward and they get a share of the money and blah blah blah. blah. Um, Publishers allow you to take risks. You're talking exactly. about, Lars is talking about small indie games, right? That are a little bit different. You can kickstart them. You get your money. You can go. I like mean, that. the answer is that now people kind of don't for those smaller indie games, right? I think that's sure. why right now it's so exciting because there are people who. If you can get the money, whether through Kickstarter or traditional means, like you, you don't need a publisher anymore. You can That's throw it right saying. on Steam. I'm say- yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm saying that the fact that the publishers exist to fund a multi-million dollar game that you wouldn't be able to get a loan for or a Kickstarter yeah. for or whatever. You need somebody there saying, we believe in the product. Here's this money. Now when it gets sold, we get our cut, and this is how it works. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the yeah. business model to make something that's a little bit bigger maybe than your studio can personally get out. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, and I think the answer is that it, it is kind of at this point, not antiquated, but I mean it is a more traditional model that I think people are, just like in film, I mean Hollywood's the same way right now, mm-hmm. that distribution used to be that you could not get anywhere unless you had a studio behind you and had a distributor but um, I think now that's not the case because sure. people can release something straight to YouTube or via Kickstarter there's a, a short that's nominated for an Oscar or I think it was last year got nominated for an Oscar that was Kickstarted which is kind of cool um, and so I think now in all around that, that model is kind of going away yeah I agree and uh, just real quick you know, he talks about how publishers only care about money. Certainly, they do care about money. They're a business. Uh, don't fool yourself into thinking that developers don't care about money. If there's a developer out there that's telling you that they don't care that they get paid or they don't care about their bonuses they get when their games are, are coming out and the, and the games do well, they're lying. Um, this is a business for them, too. Now, are they their ar- job. Yeah. It's, are they yeah. artists? Are they, they fine programmers? All this kind of thing? Of course. But, like, let's not, like sanctify the developer over the publisher necessarily when sure. everyone's in it for the money because well, it's their job. And also most publishers, like if you're looking at Take-Two, if you're looking at Activision, if you're looking at EA, they're publicly traded companies. So yes, they care about the money, but that's because they're also, they have this gigantic pool of people who, you know, put money in and get money back and all that stuff. There, there are many, many, many slices of that pie. So I think with publishers, like, yes, they only care about the money, but that's also because they're, you know, they have so many masters that they, right. they have to pay all that back. Um, and also, don't forget that, like, you know, you can call it greed or whatever, but if they don't make money, then they're not going to keep being able, like, look at THQ, right? Like, that is a publisher who's no longer around because the money wasn't there. So, yeah. I mean, yes, they only care about money, but, and sure, maybe to some individuals that could be about, hey, I just really want a bunch of money so I can buy a pool or whatever. But I think it's more about keeping the business alive and all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, like, what drives the artist, right? The art, obviously, like, what drives us to write? We like to write. But would I be able to write in a vacuum without being paid by my employer? No, of course not. And like, do I want, you know, to make money on what I do to like be able to fuse the, the, the love of doing something with being able to live my life? Yes. And like that, so let's not, you know, 
developers aren't like just <laughs> making games for you know for 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 giggles, and uh, we have to kind of walk away from that. Like they ha- they ha- they are entitled and have a right to make a living off of their game, whether or not the market agrees, is another thing entirely. But um, you know, everyone's in it for the money in business. Yep. That is what business is. Number three. Here's an interesting fact, Greg. I'm, I'm finally about the upcoming <laughs> PS4 game No Man's Sky. Oh yeah, it will take over one billion years to see the entire game. I'm gonna do it. <laughs> I hope there's a plan. Hello, welcome to episode 4,000 of IGN's Let's Play of No Man's Sky. Word comes from Hello Games co-founder Sean Murray, who told IGN that there are so many planets in the game that it would be literally impossible to see them all. Indeed, the procedurally generated universe used to be smaller. It was developed using a 32-bit number, which would take gamers four or five thousand years if they were to spend a single second on every planet. But that number was up to a 64-bit number, meaning that you're going to you're never going to see all of No Man's Sky. Mm, mm, mm. Uh, so I thought that was a kind of an interesting stat. That's really cool. So that sounds it. awesome that you will come in and we'll both play the game, or all three of us will play the game, and we'll come in and have different experiences, mm. and we won't know about that planet you went to or whatever. I think that's why that game is so ambitious and exciting, because, man, that's really cool. Now, do we know if it's like persistent in that if I discover a planet, can I like put a flag down and then you discover that planet later and see I don't my think flag? We know that, do we? I thought no. I don't know much about the cool. game. I don't know if it's online. I'm not super game. interested in it right now. A lot of people are like really losing their minds over it. I want. I need more information. You got too much. Going did you on not play Joe Rampa. Danger, Colin? Huh? Did you not play Joe Danger? I did play. <laughs> I did, actually, I played Joe Danger for like one second. Not a racing. Now game. imagine doing that. Not a racing <laughs> yeah. game. It, I heard that if you play Joe Danger IGN. for one second every year, you would still never see the end of it before the sun burns out. It's probably true. <laughs> Uh, number four, eagerly awaited PS Vita exclusive Freedom Wars from Sony's Japan studio finally has a Western release date. IGN can confirm that Freedom Wars will launch in North America on Tuesday, October 28th, and will be Ooh. available both digitally and at retail for $29.99. It will launch in Europe digitally on Wednesday, October 29th, and at retail on Friday, October 31st. There are pre-order bonuses available for PSN and participating retailers if you're interested. Uh, I'm going to have much more on that game soon. Um, very excited about it. You it like did, it? did extremely well. I do. I like it a lot, and it did extremely well in Japan. And Here's just the thing, real quick. A lot of people are talking about like we don't get any more big Vita AAA games. This is a AAA game, and it might not be up your alley, but it's it's. And so you probably don't want to play it if it's not up your alley. But real but, quick, I, we always do this. Sorry. Yeah. In a nutshell, what is Freedom Wars for somebody who's listening at home, driving their bus full of nuns at right, home? Right. I don't know what that means. They they're literally insane. <laughs> uh, Freedom Wars is a game that was developed with, uh, from Japan Studio along with two Japanese developers called Dimps and Shift. Um, and it's a Monster Hunter light game, but it's got uh, guns and swords and verticality. It's very action oriented, very fast. Yeah, you grapple like up. on that and monsters, like pull yourself up to them and kill them, kind of like Shadow of the Colossus, but sure. not nearly that grand. Um, and the, the cool thing I think is the story. So uh, there's everyone. Li- Earth is overpopulated in this game, and everyone lives in these uh, city states called Panopticons, and. Uh, Basically, everything's so overpopulated and there's no supplies, so like the, the the most minor of grievances will get you thrown in prison for like exorbitant <laughs> amounts of time. Nice. Um, Isn't it like a million years? Yeah, and you get like million year yeah. sentences yeah. and stuff like that. And so the idea is that you have a million year sentence in the game. No one, I don't know how you end up there. I'm sure you find out. Um, and the idea is to work for the government to lower your jail time to zero, so you can get out. So all of the like missions, suicide. So all of the missions you do lower your time by 10, 15, 20, 30, 100 gotcha. years at a time, and then you get out. So the, so I guess what I'm saying is like yeah it's not Bioshock we want Bioshock it's not you know another Uncharted but this is a triple A game um, from a from a first party studio um, like Killzone or Tearaway um, so it's a game worth paying attention to um, yeah. because yeah we have a lot of indie games and smaller games on Vita but you know if if Freedom Wars ends up good and it ends up selling well 
um, and people like it and it resonates with people, then what's to say that we won't, you know, won't get more of them? I guess what I'm saying is the proof's going to be in the pudding with how these games perform. This game yeah. sold really well in Japan. I'm, that timing um, is perfect. That's, uh, I think, yep. the day I'm going to get in a plane to PAX Australia, which is... Oi! Dallas to Sydney is the longest commercial flight in the world. So I'm, Really? Or longest nonstop commercial flight. Yeah, it's it? horrifying. I like heard 20 hours or something. No, it's longer than that, I think. Probably longer, yeah. Um, uh, that sounds so terrible. I just did like that 11 But you got Freedom Wars. Well, no, I will. Your Vito lasts you four hours and you can play it. Oh, man. I was uh, the, the flight I had back from, we connected through London and came to Dallas. It had uh, like outlets, outlets and stuff, mm. like USB yeah, outlets. Yeah. And like a, I watched uh, Captain America 2. I watched Amazing Spider-Man. They cool. Had, <laughs> but uh, you missed this Josh writes into beyondthatign.com just like you can it says beyond. beyond Beyond. with the recent announcement of Freedom Wars having a release date in October I started wondering why didn't they announce this on the stage at Gamescom seems like a missed opportunity is Sony now actively avoiding marketing the Vita will we see any marketing push for Freedom Wars or is it doomed to fade into obscurity thanks and beyond yeah it's a great question I have no I thought for sure Freedom Wars would be on the stage because um, that is a big game for them. I yeah. mean, that feels like a really good TGS thing. I, it, that doesn't help with the Western release date, obviously. But it's out but... already in, in Japan. Yeah, oh, so it's like weird. Never mind. So it's a terrible TGS thing, actually. <laughs> and heads um, up, everybody. And this is why I'm not head of marketing at Sony. <laughs> so let me read number five, and, it's, and we'll get to that question because okay. it answers okay. it. It's all linked together. Number five. In response to wide complaints on the internet of a lack of love for Vita at Sony's Gamescom press conference, uh, Shoni Shahid Ahmad, who's a friend of Podcast Beyond, whose job it is to secure games for Vita and other PlayStation platforms, tweeted out a number of games in the pipe for the handheld, including Papers, Please, Tales of Hearts R, Velocity 2X, Hotline Miami 2, Wrong Number, Bro Force Volume, and more. Minecraft. He did Minecraft. Too. He also promises that many more games are in the pipe. In a separate interview, Shuhei Yoshida made note of something he told us at E3, that Sony doesn't want the press conferences to go too long, and that Vita fans are so dedicated that Sony expects that they'll find the news they seek without having to tell the wider public. To me, that's, you know, and that's just a paraphrase. That's not sure his exact wording, but that's basically what he said, and he told us that at E3. Um, that's the wrong move for Vita. Vita will be doomed to the niche and eventually to fail if they don't give it more time. I don't really understand what they're thinking with PS Vita. And Freedom Wars, he's absolutely right, was a perfect game to have something on Gamescom's stage for. Not only the release date announcement, not only a token thing, but gameplay. And like show people the game and tell them why it's important. Tell them why they want to play it. They aren't doing right by Vita. Period. Well, I and, mean, for, their, and, for what they want, apparently. It's okay. We can, oh, is it the marker that hit me? Yeah. Not, you know, not your luscious fingers? No, stop touching mm. me like that. I don't like it. Well, I like it a little too much. I, I like the reverse like, like turn that? on touch. Like you it. got some moves. I, and I use them all I'm <laughs> calling. Christine's a lucky lady. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think what we're talking about, right, is you're saying they're not doing right by the Vita. They're not... In their mind, they are. It's their system, right? They're doing right by the 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 battle plan they have laid out. Of well, which is what ignore it. Yeah, that, that you and <laughs> I are gonna, doesn't exist. You and I are gonna fall for the same trap every week and tell people to buy it in Minecraft and Persona. So what do they care? Because the hardcore are buying it and the hardcore are making it at least profitable enough that they, that's what they want out of it. Plus, if they really do have a finite amount of time on stage and they can spend six minutes or four minutes or whatever it is talking about Freedom Wars, which realistically, right? Like, let's say that game even does a million, that would be huge for them. Or a PS4 game that's probably going to do five million and be at a higher MSRP and make them more money. Like I mean, just from a pure numbers standpoint, it's probably smarter to focus on the PS4 game. No, I, I love the Vita. Like I agree with do you. Do you? But I'm just saying. Oh, I do. <laughs> no, I I don't agree that it probably makes financial sense to focus on PS4, especially because there's all these complaints that PS4 has no games, which we know isn't true. Same complaint as Vita, which we know isn't true. I just wonder wh how they expect this to get any better. You know, and I think that their expectation is that they think it's not going to get better, so they shouldn't even try. But I say, try. You know, like, I think like their you have to try. Is like, good enough. 
And they're I, fine with it. We And we're going to get to the list of games that came out this week. There's a whole bunch of stuff. We talk about everything that he was talking about on Twitter of these games coming out. There's a lot of good stuff coming yeah, out. Yeah, but... but- you, you can make it better. Optically, you can make it better even. And you can convince people. It's not our job to, you know, I'm glad that people, you know, take our advice and buy games that we like or that we recommend or hardware or whatever. Ultimately, that's not what we're here to do. And no, so like, you all. can't rely on, you know, people's, you know, just token kind of, oh, I like the Vita kind of thing to sell Vitas. It's like you got to prove yeah. to people in a, in a more commercial sense, like why they need to buy the handheld because it's your product. And, and I... You know, the the, the 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 crappy thing about Vita is that it's in a death spiral that Sony is helping to. It is seven year tailspin. Thank you. You knew exactly where <laughs> my mind jumped to because that was going to be my example too of like they're like you know why don't they give it a chance that they tried hard with PSP and it never worked that way. PSP sold eighty million units exactly based on people like us who were like this is great man I love Rockman Unplugged I love Patapon like no, this I don't not- think I don't I don't I don't think that's fair because I've, PSP had super early sales that were heavy because they had lots of games on it and, and then they had the seven year tailspin of this thing has no games it has so many games what are you talking yeah, about yeah but the, that's what I'm saying the install base was much higher earlier when PSP was still relevant you know like PSP was really big in North America for a couple years you know like and we all remember that I was in college when that happened and and we had Grand Theft Auto and all these kinds of games Death Junior no one that was the one that turned everything around I don't know it's just it's just frustrating to me because I feel like you know, someone made a recommendation. I don't know where I read it. Like, Sony should just start doing Nintendo Direct-style things for Vita. For Vita. Yeah, yeah so, that's a great idea. I, so I think it's two separate points, right? The the Are they giving up on Vita? Do they need to do stuff for Vita? Yes. I mean, they need to do more in general. And then the separate point of, oh, like, the Vita sells itself. It'll The people who want Vita stuff will seek it out. I think it's bad. Because, I mean, there's a reason, like, Coca-Cola still advertises every year. Like, if you think about the millions of dollars Coke probably spends in advertising every year when if they just didn't, if they were like, we're just not going to advertise this year, like the amount of money they would lose in sold Cokes would probably still be less than the amount of money they would save in advertising. But they advertise because it's about keeping it out there and brand awareness. And if you wait long enough, something surpasses it and blah, blah, blah. I think with Vita, like at a certain point, if they just literally stop talking about it because they figure the audience will self-regulate, no, it won't. And the audience will slowly shrink. And yeah, I mean, they, they need to get word out there but I think that's the answer. I think dedicated events and time to focus and, and explain what the Vita is in a separate event makes a lot more sense than, sure, they could have shown Freedom Wars for a few minutes in that press conference in between two gorgeous 60 frames per second 1080p games. Like, Is that really the best place to show that? I don't think so. I think it probably would have been overshadowed by bigger stuff. I mean, that's like that's the, the E3 press conference thing in general people always talk about is like if you're on stage for your three minutes and you're sandwiched in between Call of Duty and Destiny, like guess which game people aren't talking about afterwards. It's your little three minutes. So I think um, there, there is a need to talk about Vita. I agree with that. But I think a place like Gamescom is probably not it. In, unless they have like a dedicated 30-minute block, which they obviously didn't have this year. Based on everything we're talking about, Mark writes in and says, hey guys, huge fan of the podcast and a big fan of my Vita. Question. <laughs> with all the talk recently of Vita's future, what do you think the chances are that Sony will try another handheld and what do you think it would be like? I think the chances are slim and none you ever see another Sony handheld. And I'm not talking about another Vita redesign. I mean Vita 2, PSP 2, whatever. No time anytime soon. Yeah, I mean, I think Vita right now is still part of the PS4 platform. Like whether, whether that's yet another separate conversation of like it, the remote play stuff is working great. You know, like I have no complaints about just how remote play functions and they just released a second model less than a year right. ago. So yeah, I, I don't think you see even a new model of Vita for quite a while, let alone a whole new handheld. I think you're talking, if it happens, you're talking five years minimum. Sure. Yeah, I think, I said it before on the show, I'm of two minds. Like, the, the most obvious thing is to say, like, there's no chance, they're done. 
like with handhelds. The other thing is that like I think they're crazy enough to make another Vita. You know, like I think that they're crazy enough to be like, nope, like we, <laughs> like we're making another Vita. You know, it's more powerful and blah 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 blah, and it'll play your old games and it has two triggers on each side and all this kinds of thing. Like, I can see like there's a portion of my mind that's like I can see them doing that and I yeah. feel like it could be an R and D right now. You know, like because they. They want to double down. Well, they're Vita. definitely they definitely have an, another handheld being worked on in R and D right now, guaranteed. Will it ever see the light of day? I don't know. Yeah, I'm sure they're prototyping. I mean, that's how this works, right? I mean, like, even PS4, have it out. Think about it as PS4 is selling probably twice as fast as they ever expected to. Like, if they can get a machine out during the PS4's lifespan that can play PS4 games natively, like, yeah, I mean, they they would want to do sure. that. Yeah, it's uh, oh, but I mean, like I that device can't be nine hundred dollars though. Like, I mean, that, that's that's the problem is like getting it down to. The same problem Sony has had pretty much every time it's launched a system other than PS4, which is like launching it at way too high of a price point and the proprietary memory and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah. Like they, they can't if they really do another handheld, like they have to learn so much from this launch. Like surely they would understand like what goes into it and what'll get people to buy it. I think like you always say, like, you know, sell the hardware at a loss, make it up in software. Yeah, I mean that's what you have to do. And they're already making a profit on PS4. So they I just think Sony is bold enough to do it. Like I think that they're actually like one of the companies that would actually they would do it. Well, I mean, and, and if know, PS4 and, continues to sell this well yeah. throughout this whole generation, they'll have theoretically the money to take a risk too. So, but there's no need to do that right now. Just focus on making Vita better. It's sickening better right now. Number six. Aww. Sony guy. Computer Entertainment Japan's president and CEO Hiroshi Kawano is retiring from Sony effective August 31st. Kawano joined Sony in 1985 and was the head of SEJ for the launches of Vita and PS4. Let's see. Atsushi Morita will succeed Kawano effective September 1st and is currently serving as Sony's vice president Flex. of administration and control. Maybe I'll get to meet him when I go to Japan in a few weeks. Uh, not if you keep talking this trash on the yeah, Vita. Yeah, I know. Hey, I'm not talking that trash on Vita. I'm just, just telling call, it like it is. You just called it with sick and embedded. It is sick and embedded. <laughs> they have a plan for it, Colin. It's in a, it doesn't match with your plan. I was, at stu- plan. I was at Studio Japan last year, and I'm convinced that there's a room full of beds with Vitas in it connected to IVs. <laughs> little thermometers sticking yeah. out. The little, like, old school hat. Number seven. Oh, wait, b- before you move on, mm-hmm. I, I think that's actually really interesting because Sony as a whole, like looking at SEA and SEJ, like it's kind of a new guard right now. It's pretty crazy. I yep. mean, if you look at how many people in major positions, because I mean, Kaz is now head of everything, so it's not like he's really focused on the gaming side. Tretton's gone. Like it, it's, it's just really interesting that Sony next year compared to Sony even three years ago, it's so different. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it is a little weird. Still kind of getting over Jack. Shuhei's never going anywhere. Yeah, of course not. The day Shuhei leaves... Sony, it's the day I weep on this pod. The podcast, it will just be Colin and I crying at the table. I think his, uh, as a promotional stunt, when they finally let you change your PSN name, Shuhei should change his last name to PlayStation, thus confirming he will never leave the company. <laughs> Jeez, he's dedicated. <laughs> PlayStation son. Number seven. And finally, some game announced. Kickstarted adventure game Dreamfall Chapter is coming to PlayStation 4 this November. Where's Knob Switch? Knob Switch is not. <laughs> Dreamfall Adventure is Knob Next Switch. Up. The sequel to Cube, Cube When the Vita gets out of bed, it comes with Knob Switch. <laughs> the sequel to Cube Cube Squared is coming to PS4. Zen Pinball is The Walking Dead. Pinball is coming to PS4, PS3, and Vita on August 26th and can be accessed via P- Zen Pinball 2. RPG Rune Master will be coming to PlayStation 4 in 2015. And Q Games and 011's Nom Nom Galaxy, a continuation of the Pixel Junk series, will come to PS4 and Vita at an undetermined time. That's it. All those games sound great, but they're not out yet. Andrew Goldfarb, mm-hmm. if I wanted to know what came to stores this week, the mom and grop shops, where would I go? That would be the uh, official Leah B. Jackson memorial list of upcoming PlayStation software on all three platforms by the IGN editor. True. Number, number PS3. That's not a number. <laughs> number PS3. PS3. Counter Spies out. It's available digitally. We'll yeah. have more on that very soon because we interviewed them. God, it feels like that 
I can't believe that game is just now out. I feel like we were seeing that game like a year and a half ago. We just saw it a long time ago. Diablo 3, Reaper of Souls is available digitally and at yeah. retail. Plants vs. Zombies Garden Warfare is available digitally and retail. Garden. Tales of Exilia 2 <laughs> is available <laughs> digital and retail, and I reviewed that hey, on IGN and gave it an 8. You got to pay off debt and stuff, I hear. Yep, you do. Sounds like a Tom Nook nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> on PlayStation 4. Plants vs. Zombies Garden Warfare is available digitally and at retail. This is a really random one. Rygar, the old arcade game, which I loved on NES, even though it wasn't really quite a, a, a faithful port. It's available digitally. I can't wait. I'm playing that tonight. Counter Spy is available digitally. Kung Fu Rabbit, which I think is already on Vita, is available digitally. Diablo 3 Reaper of Souls is available digitally and at retail. I actually think Kung Fu Rabbit's a PS3 game. Sorry, that's on the wrong list. Hotline Miami, the original one, is available digitally on PS4 as of today. Ooh. And I think it's cross-play and cross-buy, so if you already bought it on Vita and PS3, I think you might already have it for free. Not positive about that. And The Last Tinker, City of Colors, is available digitally. On Vita, Counter Spy is available. What? The Last Tinker, that looks incredible. It's like a 3D platformer. I'm all over that game. It looks cool. Yeah. I don't know if we're going to review it. On Vita. Counter Spy is available digitally. Crimson Land is available digitally. I already reviewed that on PS4. What'd you give it? Uh, Like a 7, maybe. Something like that. Same thing you gave Counter Spy. Yep. Gravity Badgers is available digitally. Awesome nice. name. Good. I like and, that. And uh, a game I'm really excited about, Sword Art Online, Hollow Fragments, available digitally. Um, this is an... Uh, an RPG that was on Vita in Japan did very well over there. It has a huge community. I think a lot of people actually imported it um, to play here, like the kind of the hardcore Western Vita community. So uh, I have my code. I don't think I'm going to review it, but I will be playing it, and uh, we'll send it out to a freelancer. And That's what it. is that? The Last Tinker City of Color, it's called? Yep. City Greg, of Colors. Remind me to download that. I'm on it. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Everybody tweet at Garfep and let yeah, them know. please do. Download Last Tinker City yeah. of Color. I, I like 3D platformers a lot, and they're not around enough. I'm going to tell Marty about that one. He, he wrote a thing about it. He was like, hey, I like this game. I wish it was a different game. Called it 3D. It was Splatoon. Who's that? Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he wrote, a, he wrote a piece. It was like, I really like Splatoon, but I wish it was a 3D platformer. Which and you're like, here it is. Yep. Uh, as Colin just told you, ladies and gentlemen, Diablo 3, Reaper of Souls, Ultimate Evil Edition is out. I've been playing my balls off with it. You did so stream. good. Yeah, I've been streaming like crazy over mm-hmm. on my Twitch mm-hmm. channel. Streaming your balls off. With, no, I didn't. No, I think they kick you off if you stream balls off on the thing. I don't know. I've seen. I've seen Chuhei tweet some uh, pretty interesting PS4 screenshots. That's true. It's worked well. Um, it's great. Uh, nobody else here has played it, right? Have you played any of Diablo, it? Diablo. I played Reaper. So I was at uh, Gamescom last year when it got revealed, and we yeah. saw a little bit of it. Yeah. And then I was at uh, BlizzCon last year, and we played Tiny Pin. I can. It's it's good. It's but not uh, PS4. I played it on PC for a little bit. Oh, and then I played a lot of it on PS3 leading into uh, E3 when I was just looking to grind, listening to my podcasts. There, mm-hmm. the muddled visuals, not as much happening. In PS4, it looks way more like the PC. Tons of stuff happening. Uh, they put in a whole bunch of cool multiplayer stuff. Not that you have to play with other people, but like even just like if you're playing on your friends list, we can share gifts. I'll and eat. you can, it's, isn't there that whole thing where like you, you kill, if a monster kills you, right. it'll show up in somebody the else's nemesis game. System. Yeah, that's really smart. Steimer and I have been playing nonstop together and no one else has, has the game yet, you know, so there's not like my mm-hmm. friends list is populated. So last night I went and played on my own for the stream and as soon as I started a nemesis monster that had killed her popped up in my game and just beat the shit out of me and killed me there's mm. a curse too 52 you deserve it you. I did yeah, oh yeah I mean I deserve also, it why is your finger so dry touch your finger it's like a, I don't moisturize like enough sandpaper I don't moisturize yeah, enough it's, it's, like like a, it's like a cat's tongue do you want to <laughs> well my, my hope is that I'll just have spider-man like powers if I keep it up uh, we have two Diablo things here. First off is from Dan. Why would Dan. dry skin give you Spider-Man-like powers? Because then I'd be able to stick to things like cat's tongue and sandpaper. Dan from the UK writes in and says, Beyond. Beyond. I, for one, have been waiting for Diablo 3 to be hitting my PlayStation 4 for a long time. But my question is this. Looking on the store on my phone, I see the Ultimate Evil Edition in the coming new section on PS3 costs 29.99 euros. 
but the PS4 costs 59.99 euros. Sorry for not converting it. I'll never understand your over-the-pond money. <laughs> Why the almost double price jump? It's just because the PlayStation 4 is new and hot, and this is what people think they can charge. It's just the same game, right? Yeah. To my yeah, knowledge, it's just the same yep. game, and yep, that's the whole point that they want it to be. Oh, Colin's getting ready to curse. Nope. No? Oh, yeah, that's my well, the whole point is that, uh, yeah, it's a little bit ex- more expensive because they know that, yeah, PlayStation 4 is the hot th- hotness right now. People want to get to it. Uh, they want to go buy it. Um, Colin, do you have anything else to j- jump in on this? No. Yeah, I know. Calm down, mother. Jesus. Now you're all dead. up in my f***ing grill about it. <laughs> Am I really all up in your f***ing grill about it, Greg? No, you just think I don't know how to drive this show? Drive this We've forgotten the many SSS times in the, pa- in the past years. Many nah, I times. Um, oh, I missed this. <laughs> <laughs> the old married couple <laughs> fighting over here. Yeah, I mean, it's just the fact that PlayStation 4 is, I mean, I'm sure it looks better for sure. That's the big thing yeah. about it. I mean, it's, it's just the new. It's, I, it runs better also, than. if I'm not mistaken, those like online things are PS4 oh, are only. I, I don't remember. I don't know. I don't work at Blizzard. I'm not too worried about it. I mean, why yeah. would you even play it on PS3? Just upgrade already. Yeah. Get it, get, get it going. Keep that PS3 around. I'm sure, but for, I'm, yeah, I'm sure there's... Five and Berlin's free sequel and Assassin's Creed Rogue. <laughs> and Tales of Hysteria. Yeah, Tales of Hysteria, yep. Uh, yeah, so I mean, to my knowledge, yeah, it's just the fact that PlayStation 4 is the hotness and it runs better and it might have additional features that you should be playing and those are the features yeah. they've been talking about nonstop. Yep. If you have both, do it. You can upload your PS3 or 360 save to Battle.net and then download to PlayStation 4 or your Xbox One. It's, like it's platform agnostic, which is nice. I think it's really cool how many people... Uh, wasn't there something else? Oh, didn't like... Yeah, next-gen GTA, they said you can take your GTA Online save from any platform. And, right. Man, I cool. wish you could take your real save, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah that'd be yeah, awesome. I know I'm asking for too much. I, it would be so cool if those walls eventually got broken down. I mean, I know they won't, but... Break the walls Shuhei Yoshida, tear yeah. down <laughs> this wall. <laughs> I was just watching a Reagan documentary yesterday. Oh, how was that? It's good. It's part one of three. Oh, nice. Let us know how it wraps up. <laughs> yeah. I'm reading um, a biography of Joss Whedon right now. And for some reason, it keeps making me think of you because it's been so long since I've read a biography. And I'm like, Colin likes biographies. And Joss Whedon and Ronald Reagan are good friends. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They Well, they work together. Yeah. Um, yeah. He goes through his speeches when he was like one year old. Jason writes in to be hit of the week. And I said, sure, because he wants some friends. He says, greetings, Greg Colin and the occupant of the perpetual motion chair. <laughs> hit of the week request. I really want to enjoy some of the social features of Ultimate Evil Edition without actually having to play the game or talk to anyone. So my PSN name is Roger, Risen Roger. Devil. <laughs> R-I-S-N-D-E-V-I-L. Hit me up, Beyond Jason. Everyone, go friend Jason. Send him a message that says Beyond. Let him know you love him and that you want to trade gifts with him and send him gold. Gifts? Like yeah. animated gifts? Well, no, no. Gifts like when you're playing Diablo, you'll kill a oh, monster gift. and you'll collect things. And then it'll say, yeah. like, this is a gift for Jason. And then oh. it would just send Jason. it off. You send it off Jason. Jason! And it would show up in his ma- mail. And it's great. <laughs> Outside of Diablo, Yes, and it confirmed. Thank you. <laughs> Oh, rest in peace, Clements. Wherever we hid your body. Uh, you reviewed Counter Spy. I did. It's out this week. Tell me a little bit about it. Uh, Counter Spy is a side scrolling espionage game that takes place in the Cold War. It can be beaten in like three or four hours. Yeah. It, it, it takes a page out of the Metroidvania book of design, but the maps are not huge. They're like 10 minutes each, and they're procedurally generated. And it looks um, like Archer. It's got that cool. Like, yeah, it's, it's got like a beautiful art design. The, the art director is an OG guy from Pixar, um, and uh, the guys who made the game are from LucasArts and Rockstar. Um, so it's the, the studio's got a good pedigree. Um, I gave it a 7. I think the, the game is immaculate looking. Um, I think the gunplay could use some work. I think that the AI is super inconsistent, which is a major problem in a lot of stealth games. Sure. You know, um, I would love to hear more about this game. Is yeah. there some kind of some kind of 
any other information I could get? You're about to get it, ladies and gentlemen, oh. and Andrew Goldfarb, because that OG guy from Pixar and one of the dudes, formerly of LucasArts. Mark and Dave. They popped up here for your enjoyment. Here they are, Counterspy. Boom, there it is, Colin. Yeah. Two people at the table. That's how quick we do it. Everybody, give a round of applause. Mark and David are here. They're here hey, to talk about Counterspy. Pat, hey, pat on the back. Well done, yeah. Good job. So let's start things at the top of the most important thing I think possible. Uh, David. Yep. You live in my neighborhood. Our neighborhood. That's right. We, the sunset. We, I was walked to the train today. You came up. I'm like, oh, another adoring fan to talk to. And he's like, you're going to interview me today. I was like, oh, what's up? How you doing? This is weird now. Yeah, it was, yeah. yeah it, it, that's funny. I had no idea when I went to the studio. I, I, I was saying to Greg, I've seen, seen you, and I would go, that guy looks familiar. Um, and then I, I only clicked, I think, when, when we chatted Colin and realized you were in the neighborhood. Yeah. So that was kind of weird today. Literally on my way to work, not work here. Yeah, thinking, literally coming right, here to meet us to get talk. Get myself psyched up, and it's like, oh no, there's Greg, and oh he's walking over here, and oh now he's right in front of me. I, I guess I guess I better say hello. So then we talked about Rogue Legacy, so Awkward. it all worked out. Rogue Legacy is awesome, but I I'm totally a, a noob at that game. Yeah, we all are. Colin's the only man in the room, I think. Yeah, I, I beat it. It was it was good. I want to do the new game plus thing and 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 see how hard it gets. It's mm -hmm. supposed to be very good. But uh, enough of that game. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me about Counter Spy. Well, who wants to go first? You're warmed um, up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is, yeah, the, the train got you nice and loose. For All this right. Interview. <laughs> uh, yeah. So Counter Spy, it's the the first game from our studio, Dynamite. Uh, mm -hmm. It's a side-scrolling action stealth game. Uh, it's uh, set in the sort of '50s Cold War setting. Uh, it's coming out on all the PlayStation devices mm -hmm. uh, next Tuesday, this Tuesday, Yay. today. Today, uh, coming out today. It's coming out today. <laughs> Time travel. <laughs> <laughs> it's coming out right now. Um, cross buy? Cross buy, cross save. Um, yes. Cool, and it's also available on, it's going to be available on mobile, right, later on as well? There in case is a it mobile there. version, yeah, cool. and it's it's intended to be kind of its own game, like it has a lot of the same core gameplay, uh, so less of a companion app, uh, more of a game in its own right. Mm -hmm. Cool, so when I came and visited you guys at your studio last week, first of all, the studio is an awesome space, you should see this place, It's the space is just awesome. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> uh, and... Uh, the bathrooms I was especially impressed with. <laughs> Thank you. The bathrooms are very cool. Because one bathroom the is imperialist the and one bathroom is Soviet style. Oh, that's cool. Okay. Um, and uh, so I guess like where I want to start is like where, what was the, the nugget of the idea for this game? And how did you guys kind of find each other? Because what I was so fascinated about talking to you guys, and we're going to do a piece later on, I think, mm -hmm. um, after the game comes out. How did you guys find each other? Because there's a lot of experience from different places, even outside the games industry, mm. um, to come together and make this game. It's sure. like an online dating <laughs> Service really looking um, for a dev.com. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so some some of it's not too far from that as it happens. Mm -hmm. the, there's so four of us who formed the nucleus who originally kind of really set out to start the company. Uh, myself and John, uh, we'd worked together at LucasArts. Um, there's a guy Mark who John had known. Uh, he sort of brings a bit more of the business acumen, um, and he's he's like the least businessy business person we could find. <laughs> um, he just got back from India and and is like a surfer. So that's our business guy, and and a, a serious gamer too, right? And a, and a total gamer nerd. So that was important. I like the idea of him just being a surfer. Right. <laughs> hey man, what are you guys doing? Uh, Stop worrying about it. Ride the wave. Right. <laughs> um, and then Mark. 
um, so the way that, that we found Mark was literally, uh, I, we knew that we wanted to build a games company and make games that, that had really strong visuals. And I'm a huge Pixar fanboy. Um, and I literally was like, okay, um, who, who do we need to sort of fill out that fourth chair, right? The guy that's going to lead the, the visual development. And I literally went onto LinkedIn and did a keyword search, Pixar <laughs> art director. So it was kind of like online dating, except using LinkedIn. Um, and then when Mark's name popped up, we, we kind of started communicating. Hey. Well, the, the, the timing was perfect because I had just given notice at Pixar. I'd been there a very long time, uh, great experience, but it was sort of time. I, it, it was time that I wanted some new sure, growth and challenge, right? right? And um, What's I, the last movie you worked on? Uh, Monsters 2, I believe. Were you in a documentary about Pixar? I might have been. Right, you look really familiar, and I, yeah. thought, I assumed I had met you in game development before, oh, okay. but no, Maybe I'm not. Just, I probably yeah. watched you. I was probably in the background, like walking in the hallway <laughs> or something, yeah, behind, behind the monkey on the scooter. You're, you know? you're in, the, uh, in the Incredibles. Uh, there's some okay. Brad Bird meetings, I think. You're sure. extra footage. My, my, my you. moment of fame. <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, I had told them I wanted to move on, and they were very supportive of that. And I gave notice and updated my uh, LinkedIn resume for the first time in like 16 years. And then within, like, I feel like a few weeks, I get this email from David. You were probably like, what's LinkedIn, right? Like, cause <laughs> no, been no, I was aware. Years. Well, right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it was something that I definitely needed to dust off a lot of stuff. But um, it was just great timing. And I think in the way that you kind of, you know, uh, the kind of company you wanted to build, the kind of games you wanted to make, really spoke to me and my interests creatively. We shared a lot of the same passions. And we went through this sort of uh, very kind of long courtship for a while. Pixar, even though I had given notice, they kept extending me sure. uh, for, for several months. And finally, one of my um, uh, supervisors was like, okay, we have to let you go so we can kind of do this on our own now. And, uh, <laughs> and then I was freed up to, um, to, to kind of consult with you guys in the beginning and, and joined you. Um, what was it... Uh, Early 11? It was totally like dating. I think that's a really accurate <laughs> it was. metaphor. We, we, we like, actually became friends hmm. first before we got into a serious uh, relationship. That's how the best marriages are started. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, we, we hope we have a good foundation to uh, build on. Do you remember? So um, I remember there was a moment where Mark had been consulting for us. And, you know, I think you were getting approached by certainly companies bigger than our little nobody's heard company of is larger company. than three people yeah <laughs> there were a few out there at the time and but there was a moment but we always were getting on and we were sort of connecting so much creatively mm -hmm. and there was the moment where i i said to mark like you know this is that movie where <laughs> there's all the hot girls out there that you're like totally enraptured with and falling for and here's your best friend over here with her glasses like, and her ponytail yeah. <laughs> exactly yeah. and you can't see right in front of you that this is the best thing that will happen to you and i think yeah. that was we had that moment where you, you took your glasses off and you let your hair down. And, That's right. And I knew it. That was it. <laughs> yeah. uh, so the, the, you guys get together. The four of you get together. You kind of fill out your team, I assume. Mm -hmm. The team's very small. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, it's got to be like, what, a dozen 12, people? Yeah. 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 Um, and uh, this idea, I guess, of Counterspy comes out. And I'm really intrigued by this. We were talking, you know, I'm, I'm, history is like my favorite thing in the mm -hmm. world. And you, mm -hmm. you guys really are, you know... Um, uh, tuned into history, and this is a very this is a game that takes a lot from Cold War history. It is a mm -hmm. Cold War game. Um, so, how did this specific idea come up? And did, was this an idea that you had, or you had before you even met each other, or was this something you came up with together? So, I think when when Mark and I met, we, there was definitely that that 
idea, that kernel of an idea that wanted to make something that kind of tapped into the espionage thrillers um, of the 50s and 60s, like just being a huge fan of like early Bond shows like Man From U.N.C.L.E. And I think that's where Mark and I really hit it off and could see how we could build something together. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting. So the, the theme, thematically, where we went was sort of a, a, a real discovery process. Like, I don't think we knew when we started out that we were going to set it in the Cold War and necessarily have a point of view about sort of what the Cold War is like. Right, which is, if you think about it, the Cold War is kind of this pretty crazy, dark time in in history, and we're making a very fun, playful, colorful game. game. So <laughs> it's like, well, how do you how make do you a, reconcile? Yeah, those, like how yeah. do you reconcile the two? Yeah, and um, I think when I came on, like we we you had that core idea, and that's what's one of the things that sold me was just getting to do this sort of '50s '60s era cool espionage game, right? And it, it touched on a lot of things I was really interested in, but there's a very it's a very wide uh, sort of uh, palette. Sorry, palette, yeah, sorry, to, to work in. And so tonally, we didn't know quite what the tone was. Like originally it was a little darker. It was a little more gritty. Tinker, Taylor, Soldier, Spy, or Man from Berlin kind of, or not Man from, uh, Funeral, Funeral in Berlin. Berlin. Um, and we, you know, we wanted it, in wanting it to be a playful game, we didn't want to take the sort of Austin Powers approach of doing right. a parody where it's just really making fun. Of the genre, we wanted to do it in a way where we were respectful uh, and earnest, but still a little lighthearted. Sure. So that that was a process for us to kind of find those sort of common grounds. And I mm-hmm. think you know, Doctor Strangelove was a great one where there was this sort of very again serious earnestness to the the story, but it was a ridiculous story. And I think that kind of was like a first place we kind of found that sort of uh, humorous touchstone, I yeah, guess, for I th- that. I mean, the thing, you know, we talked about this, Colin, like the thing that we really wanted to poke fun at a bit was just that sort of that ideological sort of two, what what any two sides can be when you've got two ideological sides in opposition. And they're so like, yeah, we're right. We're the we're right. So they're wrong. They're wrong. And it's something that um, this sort of fundamentalist idea and it's something you see in religion in politics it's playstation versus xbox like it feels like people always want to draw those battle lines right and um and like honestly i feel like usually when you meet people across any divide you find well you're you're cool we're all cool (laughs) like you're just like us you play xbox i play playstation but that's okay switch the a with the x it's the same thing (laughs) right so um I think for me that was like part of the meaning that we thought we could kind of wrap around the game. I, I think for us, it's important that we make games where there's there's sort of a meaning or there's a point sure. um, mm-hmm. underneath it, but at the same time, like not being super heavy-handed. So that's why when you play the game, you'll see a lot of the propaganda on the walls. Like that's a lot of the artwork that Mark did for the two sides. So you can kind of see, ah, oh, these two sides are sort of facing off against each other, but they're they're kind of the same, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so that was, but but again, like it's not it's not like in your way and getting in the way of you running around ragdolling. So how do you? Enemies. But how do you? How do you do that? That it, it sounds easy when you say that, right? But you're making a video game <laughs> where you run around and do crazy stuff, but you're trying to deliver a message, but you're not trying to beat people over the head with it, right? Well, it, it works at a couple of levels. I mean, one for us really, it just allows it, it focuses us on you know what's meaningful to us about the game. Yeah. What's the um, the, th- the thing we're kind of, the point of view that we're engaging in. And that sort of informs a lot of the choices in the game. Some of it becomes a little more overt. Some of it's very subtle. 
And I mean, ultimately, what people take away from the game is up to them, mm-hmm. you know. But it, mm-hmm. it, it allowed us to kind of fil- to sort of um, uh, filter sort of our creative choices. And so the, the posters, the propaganda posters, were a perfect way to give voice to that sort of idea. But again, not in an overt way. It's it's in the background. It's funny, uh, you know. Hopefully, you know, and <laughs> yes. it, it, it adds to the tone, the playful tone, a little bit of messaging there. But again, it's like it's just in the background. You run by it. Sure. You know, it's it's. I mean, I I think of think of like good science fiction, right? Like awesome science fiction, whether it's start early Star Trek or anything. It's like there's, it's great entertainment. You know, you get wrapped up in the characters in the world, but it can also be used to to explore things that might not otherwise. The car ride home, you have that way. Like, wait right. a second, it's kind of like yeah, this. like yeah, wait, yeah. oh, did Kirk really kiss that uh, green alien, and what does that mean? Yeah, um, yeah, like I feel like that's the power of great entertainment is like it has the ability to entertain you, but you also walk away with something. Yeah, it's funny you have that that Star Trek example. I just thought of that episode of the. The guys that are half black and half white fighting the guys that are half white and half black. Right. That's basically our game. <laughs> oh, so you finally admit it's a ripoff. Exactly. Un- it was an unconscious ripoff. <laughs> a ripoff. Uh, well, copy the best. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> what, what I what I enjoy so much about you know the game when I came to your, your studio and we talked about it and, we, and I got to really kind of sit down and play it for a long time mm-hmm. and learn more about it was um, they don't you don't identify the United States or the Soviet Union. It's mm-hmm. the socialists and the imperialists. And, mm-hmm. like, right. You don't mm-hmm. you and I love the idea of the game that you're not taking either side, that you're actually trying to sabotage both of them. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I guess the story takes place that they're, all, they're both trying to launch nukes at the moon, right, to be the right. first one to launch nukes. And you're trying to find um, enough information on both of them by infil- infiltrating their bases to right. sabotage right. Their, pro- their nuclear gotcha. programs. So that's what the game is about. And that's – I love that idea. Mm. Um, was there any, like – Sort of, you're making a, a you know a, a, the game can be played anywhere, but you're a Western studio making a Western mm-hmm. game. Was there right. some sort of? W- did you feel the impetus at any time to make a game that was more pro U.S. or more that took yeah, more of the U.S. side? I can speak to that. Uh, it was it was very tricky subject matter um, because on one hand, you know it's it's very easy to vilify the Russians, you know, or the other side, and it's hard to 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 you know, be aggressive towards your own side. The game, we wanted it to be fundamentally about two fundamental sides, and the Cold War is sort of a, a, it, an illustration of that. Um, and so we wanted to keep the framework, we wanted to keep it recognizable, but I didn't want it to be literally about the Soviets and the U.S. I didn't want it to be a historical game. So there was a challenge in sort of uh, abstracting them enough uh, originally in the visual development, I had completely different colors and flags and things, but then no one knew what either side was, and you lost that sort of historical framework. So we had to dial it back. But it was very important to keep it, you're, you're, you're evoking the historical, you know, uh, combatants, but again, it's not a direct um, representation of them. And I also felt really sensitive to the fact that, you know, well, well wow, I can go and invade a U.S. base and shoot my grandfather, you know, or, or something. And or I didn't like that idea, paradox. too. I know, exactly. <laughs> um, so, again, it's like I, I hope we struck a right balance between abstracting it enough and you understanding it's sort of a playful game. It's, it's, it's satirical. Um, and it makes it a little easier to, to kind of just play, play the game. You know, the the idea of imperialists and socialists as well. It was kind of 
came down to it's the it's the classic insults that one side always throws at the other. Right. You always hear the U.S. being accused of oh, you're the imperialists, you know, and it's like oh, socialist is a bad word, and mm-hmm. it's the way that these labels get attached and thrown at people that kind of depersonalizes. So we 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 kind of latched onto that as being kind of who we wanted to label them as. Counter counter is kind of the lens. It's almost like looking through the lens of today and looking back and reflecting on it and sort of seeing, you know, again, seeing kind of the the, the sort of tragic irony of that, you know, uh, conflict. So just just to also, because uh, this is getting... <laughs> A little deep. This, this, we're getting serious <laughs> here too, but um, from the fun side... Um, you know, we love Bond. We love all those old uh, yeah. espionage movies. And so in Bond, you've got Spectre, right? Like Spectre, the evil shadowy organization. And we didn't want to also just um, make our own version of Bond. We thought, sure, well, what right. if we put a twist on it? Like counter are they're viewed as the shadowy organization by the, the sort of nations. But you, you're on the inside. You see yourself as the good guy. You're the hero, yeah. Right. And so it's like flipping it so that the superpowers are the supervillains, right? Yeah. And so once we kind of tapped into that, and then we did feel obviously like, let's not call them U.S. and Soviet mm-hmm. as well. All right. So right now, Colin, yeah. there's a guy in Kansas driving a tractor and listening yeah. to Podcast yeah, Beyond. Yeah. Yeah, He's yeah, enjoying yeah. the highfalutin talk. But what is the <laughs> moment-to-moment gameplay right. of Counter-Spy? We haven't touched on that. I know you run, and I know there's posters in the back, yeah. and then there's all this stuff piled on all top. All right, yeah. yeah. Okay. So <laughs> think, think about your love for early kind of arcade action-style side-scrollers, right? Okay. Like, like there's a, we have a love for that genre. We wanted to make something that, that had all the sort of trappings of those fun, easy-to-pick-up-and-play, run-and-gun games, at the same time bringing in stealth and have stealth be a portion of it. Um, so this is not a pure stealth game. It's not a game where you go into the room and if you get spotted, you're like, oh, no, I have to restart. Right. Um, it, but there's definite advantages to playing stealthy, avoiding detection. Um, you can sneak up behind guys, take them out. Um, stealth headshot guys build up combos that kind of add to points. So, again, like there's a very arcadey feel to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that also is how you are one of the ways you can earn money and that's how you can buy weapons. Um, but there's this interesting thing that we, we brought to it that we feel is sort of kind of makes it, um, unique or makes it its own thing, Mm -hmm. which is like, you're playing it in a classic side scroller. You're running around trying to avoid detection. Um, when you see a cover point, you can pop into cover. And then when you pop into cover, the perspective shifts around and now you have more of a cinematic 3d combat view um, more like you would see in a full 3D game. Um, So there's this kind of unique mix between like the 2D for navigation, navigating the world, and then when you get into something where there's more of a combat encounter or if you just want to hide, pop out and take a guy out silently, like we've got this cover camera. Awesome. And, and you know, the, the, the style and the gameplay, it all evolved out of, you know, we were a very small team. You know, there, there were four of us, you know, three developers and, and, and Mark keeping the lights on for us. Mm. And we knew we were going to have a small team. We weren't going to have a lot of resources. And so we, we needed to kind of constrain ourselves and, and also find a foundation from which there was a common experience we liked. And side-scrolling games, you know, was sort of... Uh, kind of a good starting point and wanting to build kind of a simple foundation but then we wanted to to implement really implement well on that and Mm -hmm. and really where we can have a high bar so it it is you know foundationally a very um 
just a nice, you know, kind of pure, simple arcade game with, with you know. Mm-hmm. But, we, but we just wanted it to be, you know, bringing in the cover camera, bringing in the 3D nature, and then bringing in the personality and the voice was sort of our way of sort of being able to scale up on something very, um, again, sort of playing to our strengths. and, mm-hmm. and um, A few other things mm-hmm. uh, about the game. Um, so the levels are put together using sort of procedural systems. So... Um, rooms get stitched together in different orders. Enemies are in different places. Stuff that you find. So it's different every time you play. So we try to make it endless so... replay. How long is this game? Endless. That's right. what you say at the bullet point. The... Let's see you finish this game. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, platinum this, Colin. <laughs> what else? Um, there is uh, so um, the weapons in the game. So you collect blueprints in the game that you complete to unlock. Um, new weapons and some of the weapons uh, you've got your kind of traditional like the diplomatic pistol which is the silencer um, but then you've got a bunch of more crazier weapons you can unlock later like one of my favorites is the the dart persuader where mm-hmm. if you shoot a soldier with that he'll kind of uh, and turn around and <laughs> go berserk and just going mow berserk, attacking his, his allies they'll start shooting him so you can create little firefights mm-hmm. um, yeah and so again I think just trying to have fun with it and trying to make sure I feel like the the, the core gameplay is sort of matches the irreverent tone of mm-hmm. the world as sure. well. Awesome. Yeah, a few of the things that, you know, gameplay wise stood out to me when I sat down with you guys to play was you know, one of the things I really like to do, even though I, I messed it up once, was you can shake down the officers that you meet. Um and uh, I actually only shot one of them. But if you just yeah. aim at the officers, they'll actually surrender. And this lowers your DEFCON score. Um, de- like the DEFCON uh, threat, level. threat level basically yeah. indicates like how tense things are. And you can yeah. lower it by, by making officers surrender to you, nice. which is kind of cool. Um, and uh, yeah, the, the gunplay was really fluid. It's, it's, a, it's a fun game. And I, and I, I, think, I think people are going to enjoy it. Um, I'm really looking forward to especially playing it on Vita. Um, I played it on PS4 at, at the studio. Um, System's got no legs. Vita's the future. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, yeah, so, uh, Dynamite's Counterspy, uh, should be out now by the time people are, are listening, uh, to it. Vita, PS3, PS4, buy one, get them all, uh, cross-play, cross-save. Um, and there's those iOS and Android, I guess, mm-hmm. type games or whatever. Not, not, mm-hmm. not quite the same, not quite different if you want to play those as well. Um, and that'll be pretty cool. And then I'm going to go see you guys in a few weeks and we'll talk again and, and, uh, and we'll do something a little meatier, a deeper dive on, on the studio. Because this, this is an interesting studio. We usually People usually like my history pieces yeah. about Sucker Punch, or, which I'm working on now, or Naughty Dog, or Santa Monica, or San Diego, Bend. Um, but I want to do this studio about a, a story about a new studio and how they found each other because I think that's the more interesting You're doing the story. pre-history. Yes, the yeah. history before the history. Right, right, right. Episode one. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, guys, give me a beyond before you go. Beyond. 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 Oh, wow. That actually did add a lot. That was really interesting. Did it look like I was done writing down the number? <laughs> did it look like I wanted you to start talking yet? You just don't even remember how this show works, do you? You're a piece of work. Garfab. I started having a stroke there. <laughs> <laughs> what Your nose is bleeding. <laughs> I can't jump around times <laughs> like, like this. The counter spy thing is in there, and then it just we keep this part of the show for no reason afterwards. <laughs> or keeping this. This is the rest of the thing here now. If you were to stroke, I feel like we would probably not edit that. I would, I would demand it say in the show. You're from right the now, hospital bed. If like anything I- bad ever happens to me on Podcast Beyond, I demand that it is left into the show. But if you if you have a stroke, let's say you die of a stroke right now, yeah. we're not going to go back and edit your death into, you the, into Think the, of the video views. segment. Think of the downloads. Oh, that's true. That's true. You got to share the it. Clicks. They'd, they'd be grieving. Yeah. You'd have a somber section before it telling everybody, like, this is a graphic episode. We lost Greg. 
Yeah. <laughs> We're going to let you listen as it happens. <laughs> and then it's like, I go down, right? And then it's like the six hours of this just running while you guys are dealing with it. <laughs> and then you come back like, oh, God, it's been recording the whole time. And we're still editing. People are screaming because you're on the de- on the ground dead and we have to edit each curse out like one by one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my death's so funny. Colin. Yeah. Jack writes in with a question I think you can answer. He says, beyond. 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 Hey, Greg Colin, the ever-rotating third chair. My question is for Colin. I'm about to fly from Melbourne, Australia to Hawaii for a holiday, and I need something to play on my Vita for the 10-hour plane ride there and back. I'm tossing up. I guess that's a phrase in Australia. I'm tossing up between PS1 Classics, Wild Arms, and Vagrant Story. Which one would you recommend? Beyond both to keep up are, the great Both work. games are great. Wild Arms is one of the best games of all time. So I would go with Wild Arms. There you go. Spelunky. <laughs> Persona. I don't know. Why? Why Wild Arms over Vagrant Story? Wild Arms is an exceptional story-driven, emotional JRPG. I think that the only reason that people don't appreciate it the way they should is because uh, it came out six months before Final Fantasy VII, so it was yep. it was buried. Uh, it's also it's like one of those weird things where that's I think Wild Arms is probably as strong as that Golden Age SNES JRPG era, but it's not included in it, obviously, because it's on PS1. But I think, um, man, that game is probably pretty up there with Chrono Trigger and you know a lot of the, the kind of Final Fantasy VI and all the mm-hmm. greats that people talk about. Absolutely. It's an exceptional game. Vagrant yeah. Story is great, but uh, yeah. Wild Arms is, is one of the greats. All right, Colin, last week we had a rushed podcast beyond. Then we went to Sony and played a bunch of games mm. that they had talked about and shown at the Gamescom thing. We have a question here from Thomas about one of them. Beyond. 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 To Greg, Colin, whoever else is in the rotating third chair, I recently watched some of the Until Dawn gameplay IGN put up, and it looks great. I was wondering, though, if the game changes based on the player. In the beginning of the game, it had the player take a survey about themselves, asking questions as, is horror all about gore or suspense? Do you guys think these questions will impact the game greatly, or just a few choice scripted scenes? Thanks, Thomas. I'm in love with Until Dawn, first off. I, yeah. we, I, it's one of those things. I, we played it forever ago, the two years ago with the move. and we're like, I was yeah, like, was whatever. This, yeah. this, that was Gamescom 2012. Mm-hmm. This seems like it's going to be stupid. Um, and not dumb, but just not great, right? This one, after playing it, I didn't, I have, I still haven't played PT, the playable teaser for Kojima's game, right? Because I it was like, oh, I played a horror game, and this was great. And then I came home, and then I, there's another horror game. I'm like, well, this isn't something I need to be playing every day. Uh, <laughs> I, I think, I mean, the, the whole point of the game is player choice and having things change. And in the game, it's like, you know, you choose if you go one way or the other, then a little butterfly icon pops up letting you know that you've made a major choice and now the game's going to branch a different way. And Marty was talking on GameCube about how, like, everyone can live, everyone can die. Like, right. They're, they're like this very wide set of circumstances. That sure, happen, it's a so. horror movie with, like, the the choices and like all the awesome endings of Heavy Rain, except there's gonna be way more, right? That's and really have, cool. And I don't know how I don't even know how you're gonna go back to replay it because Heavy Rain, of course, had like one main section mm-hmm. that broke apart. That then that's how you got all the endings, and there was like 34 of those endings. That but, was really complicated to do it. I did it. I got yeah. a platinum in that game. But, so did I. But it was you had but you had to start from a certain point, and then you could never go behind that point ever again. Sure. You had to do it in, in in order. Right. So it was it was obnoxious. Yeah. Um. So I don't know. This one's gonna be worse. I'm sure. It's going to be crazy. Yeah. But, and then we'll back see. to this question, though, about, like, the survey. I didn't ask the woman who was giving the demos there about that specific thing. I imagine it does, if it's how it's going to tailor the experience, if it's about suspense or if it's about gore. Because I said suspense because I don't think, like, the grindhouse movies nowadays, like, the, you know, basically torture porn, don't do anything for me. I went that way, and that had people popping up in my face trying to scare me and different things, and it wasn't at any point somebody's guts falling out. Now, granted, is it, we had one tailored demo, so who knows in the end how it is, but I don't see why they're asking these questions if it's not going to matter. Yeah. We'll see. Excited about it. Colin, I got a worst PlayStation Network name of the week for you. You awesome. ready? This one comes from Charles Witt. Jason Charles Witt. 
He writes in and says, Beyond. Beyond. Greg Collin in the chair of Perpetual Motion. In college, I was a member of many organizations that allowed me to have a lot of fun in college. As a junior at San Diego State University, me and a few of my friends decided it was time to bring back the all-male R&B group and perform on our campus. We called ourselves Hot Fudge Sunday. <laughs> and we all had ice cream-themed nicknames. Me as Caramel Drop, Caramel Drop, whatever your preference is, and my friends as DJ Spoons, Two Scoops, and Mr. Cream. We were good. Damn good. Around this time, I purchased my first Sony console, the PlayStation 3, and created my PlayStation name not knowing that it would be forever. My PSN name is the name of our first single... One and they're one and the same. That chocolate drizz, <laughs> the chocolate drizz, that chocolate drizz. Our song was in the or in that tro- t- chocolate drizz. But I reached the limit of what are you characters. He's, he's spelling it that t h a the chocolate drizzle. The. But I reached the limit on characters, the. and hopefully not forever. It would be the chocolate drizz. No one accepts friend requests from the chocolate drizz, and the drizz is often mistaken for, you guessed it, jizz. (laughs) The one redeeming quality about this name is when I play Call of Duty, and you hear gamers asking who killed them, and it says, the chocolate drizz, and I reply, the drizzle never dies. (laughs) Which is, in fact, the name of our one and only album. Keep up the good work. I love the show. That's a pretty awesome name. Yep. It's not even a terrible name. People don't think about it. They take it for granted that they got Shuhei, let us change our names. It continues. Let us change our name. Isn't Scott, I think drips. Scott is still stuck with an IGN name, even though he's not here anymore. Let's. Yeah, I mean that's yeah. how it works. I mean, I have an IGN name. I don't. I don't mind yeah. that at all. I mean, yeah. I always, but you still work here. Yeah. No, but yeah. I mean, even if I were to leave in the future and still have yeah. that name, that's fine. That doesn't yeah. bother me. It's just people need to have the option to to change their names. Yeah. For and God's sake. Yep. When Shuhei changes his last name to PlayStation, he'll understand how important mm-hmm. it is. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been another episode of Podcast Beyond. Thank you for joining us on this journey. Remember, Podcast Beyond is the Internet's number one PlayStation podcast. It posts every Tuesday as an MP3 on IGN.com and your favorite podcast service of choice. Then, each and every Wednesday, we put up the video on IGN.com, YouTube.com slash IGN, and the IGN PlayStation 4 app. It's totally free, Colin. You'd be stupid not to download it. You would fa- your faces are on there. Yeah, Whenever no, I turn on my PS4, I'm like, hey, I know them. Look at these idiots. I just kiss my screen and just... Oh, Gingerly start you. the TV. Uh, remember, of course, IGN.com keeps the lights on. Go there, read the articles, watch the videos, sign up for Prime. Uh, do some stuff with the wikis. Yeah, we got the wikis there. Mm-hmm. Jared, of course, wanted to yeah. s- come in and thank you for all the support you guys had given him. Edit that to- Battleborn wiki. Good job. <laughs> I, like, I, like, I, like, I love the grin after you say it. Like, you slid it in. <laughs> and pre-order now. Ah, <laughs> uh, you son of a bitch. Uh, keep up with us all on Twitter. IGN is IGN. I'm Game Over Greggy. Colin is no taxation. Andrew Goldfarb is Garfep. Wow. Nailed it. Damn. I've been practicing in the mirror. Oh, we can't even say coming. what it stands for anymore. That's sad. Greg always regrets fudging elderly people. <laughs> the chocolate drizz. The chocolate drizz. <laughs> uh, every episode of Podcast Beyond ends in a song in a segment we call Ryan's Wrap Up. This one is from Ico. That's how you'd pronounce that, right? Ico? I-K-O. It's team. Ico the team Rain Ico. Man. I Ico know. the Rain Man. I'm just, I'm just, I don't know. I don't know. You want, so you, Ico is Ico. Okay, so Ico. Ico the Rain Man. This song I sent you is called Beyond 5000. I came across it when I ran into a hyperdimensional time vortex on the way home a few weeks ago. It seems to be a message from the future, and apparently future episodes of Podcast Beyond are not PlayStation-focused, but instead a podcast where you guys only play rap songs about video games. I wrote and recorded this hip-hop song, dedicated to the greatest podcast that ever traveled through time. This song is for my Beyond family and all the amazing things you guys do for us. If you like my music, follow me on Twitter at... 
Ico, the Rain Man, all one word, easy, and subscribe to my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash OP5TV, or search Ico, the Rain Man on iTunes, and yep, da 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 There's a million ways to get people these days. Yeah, Remember true. when you said a phone number and that was it? Yeah, that was the worst. I used to have all my friends' phone numbers memorized. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, now, if I if you left me somewhere and took my cell phone, I would just die. Yeah, exactly. I, you can, I can still remember yeah. my best friend's number from back home, but I can't yeah. tell anybody's cell phone now. Yep. I don't, know, I don't even know my dad's cell phone number. Anyways, anything. Ico, the Rain Man says, I hope you guys <laughs> like it. Beyond, ladies and gentlemen, this is a song all about podcasting beyond video games and curses that I had to cut out. So here it is, Beyond 5000 from Michael the Rain Man, Beyond. Beyond. A lot of people tell us over the years, we've been doing Podcast Beyond for a long time, right? Yeah. And they tell us, you know, Podcast Beyond really helps me on my commute, or Podcast Beyond really helps me get through a bad time, or Podcast Beyond, you know, helped me when someone died, or when someone, you know, divorces, all these crazy things. We get all these crazy emails about, like, real real life stuff about our yeah. silly stupid <laughs> podcast. Beyond! Cause I'm PlayStation, vibe with the nerds, I got my headphones on, and I've been grinding in persona for that platinum. Greatness awaits, that's the oath to my anthem. With a place that awaits with ideas, I can fathom. These games all come out, I go home, I'm a phantom, I'm a nerd. Go ahead and flip the verb. Show you hip hop can be more than just curse words. The Miyamoto will rap of a mall rap with Mr. Agent Bizzle sipping yak going brr, brr. I can't rap. <laughs> Cause I'm dirt white, I'm Duke Nukem. So forever I'm all hype with a five point five. Yo, my shit was just all right. I'm Nightwing taking over for Batman. The op five double O general with the game plan. Mr. Ico, please, Mr. Ico, won't you finish your MC's off, Richard? I full click clack. Boom, and then I smite you The detectives went and said the beat was murdered by a white dude I'm John Blake, the dark night will rise again The song's a resume, a love letter to IGN Twilight within the twilight zone I only freestyle for free on a long ride home <laughs> Yeah, come on So, okay, go ahead and switch my wordplay Married to this game, a girlfriend, I don't need her The philosophies of Mr. Garfep and his leader Bumpin' OP5, I'm leaning back and smoking reefer Do you want it in Street Fighter 4 or that FIFA? Either way, I'll guarantee that I'll defeat ya The blue bomb around the bomb the way I bombed the jam But legally, I couldn't go and change my name to Bomberman But if I die today, they'll have to bring me back with holograms I got the Mega Man cannon on my left arm Yelling in the Sony meeting, bring back God damn it. I, I think I said pat. You messed up, bro. Did, <sighs> I think I said pat a palm. You know what time it is, right? <laughs> Pull the Clements here. Uh, uh, can, can, we, can we go back? I just had, it's supposed I, to be with an M and then well, not an N. The way my watch is set up, you kind of running out of time, bro. So I don't know. Miss awaits, but that's my fate. There's no escape, there's no debate within that answer. You can't kill me like Greg on his cancer. Unless you throw me in that boat, that powerhouse dies in. I'll be at home jacking off playing Skyrim. Tell me if you find a geek who supplies hey, him. My girlfriend called and she wants to go out, but I just want to stay in all day. The greatest game of all time, DC Universe, and gonna play itself, baby. So with your seat up, go ahead and get your feet up Making dope beats with sound shapes on my feet up oh, Master of the keyblade, I'm the master of disaster Mr. Red Enigmas are just riddles with these rappers Smashing up a hurricane, go ahead and check my stats first Level 99 dog, I'm a paladin, a verbal architect And you don't really want to battle him I don't rap, I unravel in this mantle I'm pick up all these rappers like a Mega Man and Anakin I'm playing Street Fighter with the Pope of the Vatican But I'm here to party, argue with Moriarty We sipping on Bacardi, the it was getting gnarly, but I'm part of a squad that's beyond any army. I'm a nerd. nerd, nerd, nerd. Beyond, beyond, beyond. beyond.
Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.